spaceship in the sky to the simulation in the mind. Let's all embark on another journey of Conversations on the Fringe. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world. My name is Josh. And I am here with two fantastic gentlemen. We had a show the other night, and it was just killer. And we're like, let's do that again, but this time with whiskey. So we decided to do it on a Friday <laughs> night. And uh, for if you're just joining us, this is Conversations on the Fringe. This is where we take a break from the political drama that's unfolding in the world, the uh, unfolding global conspiracy, as I call it. And we talk about those things that are beyond the mind, beyond comprehension, behind understanding those things that uh, go bump in the night, that fly in the sky, or those things that uh, intrigue the mind the, the most. And what I say is um, bring about evolution of the mind, evolution of consciousness. And tonight we're going to definitely be talking about all those topics, anything from the occult, the universe, the mind, to I think we left off starting with Nikola Tesla on Wednesday, and we were talking about Walter Russell. And we're going to be talking about all of that again tonight. Uh, my two guests, David Whitehead and Matt Presty. You guys can find David Whitehead at DWTruthWarrior.com and Matt Presty at MattPresty.com. M-A-T-T-P-R-E-S-T-I.com. And, uh, you know, Matt, please, I mean, this is your first time on Fringe. I know we, we did a show the other day. Go ahead and introduce yourself and tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Thanks, Josh. Matt Presty. I hail from St. Louis, Missouri originally. Uh, relocated to Salem, Missouri, the gateway to the Ozarks and Bigfoot country. Um, They call me the wild man from Missouri when I'm in Virginia. Um, I helped set up the Walter Russell Museum and restore the Walter Russell legacy to the planet for people to view his great work and keep his work alive. Uh, I did seven years with the University of Science and Philosophy, formerly the Walter Russell Foundation, and I was the first guest on this platform here which is totally fucking awesome awesome so, dave mike and josh and all you great listeners who have nothing better to do on a friday night but watch us drink whiskey hail to you all fantastic that's awesome and i don't know if uh david wants to go ahead and introduce himself but uh i think everybody here knows who he is but uh david feel i'm free. just a crazy canadian guy that has all <laughs> kinds of conspiracy theories to share with you so i'm glad to be here <laughs> but, but are they conspiracy theories i mean it's not necessarily what the cia proclaimed conspiracy theorists were back in the 1960s and the 1950s today it has actually come out that conspiracy theorists for at least the last four to five years have been pretty damn accurate and people are beginning to notice that. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I, and there's a lot of stuff that gets put into this big basket called conspiracy theories that a lot of it is hogwash, but so much of it's true. The core of it is true. The You got to go to the guys that built this movement from the beginning, mm-hmm. and they built it literally not by trying to build anything, but just to report what they were finding. And blow the whistle on what they saw and also share what they thought was going to happen if we kept going down this road. It's And, and it's funny how they use the word theory. Uh, theory is something that's very valid in the scientific process, right? Yeah. Where you're observing a phenomena and then you're having a hypothesis, you're doing all of that. And at any moment, you could be disproven by fresh information, right? So that's why even though you've got proof for something or you operate off of something, um, if something changes that you have to change with the facts. So really it's the pursuit of truth and we don't ever get everything right, but it's correct to view certain aspects of the world with suspicion. 
certain aspects of our institutions, our government, our media, right down to the individual level. And so it's uh, we call it conspiracy theory because that's what they insist on calling it. But I think this really just about researching reality, researching the criminal history of humankind and trying to figure out how to prevent tyranny from happening so that we can promote freedom. So that's really what it is. All the other little segues and theories and this and that, it's up to everybody to sort through it and find out what they think is true. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting. I mean, David and I have been uh, trolling some uh, some flurfs on Twitter the last few days, and we were kind of doing this like social experiment. It is an experiment, yes. And we were, we were really seeing to kind of control the narrative doing it on Twitter with the comments and stuff like that. It makes a lot more sense, but I simply just said, show me the evidence. And David, how much evidence have we seen in two days? I'm still waiting. I am Uh, evidence for the whole deal. Like there's a lot that has to be answered before we jump to that conclusion. And I'm just not impressed. And I keep getting told, Oh, you just got to research it. And this is like the same with any of people, Mm -hmm. you know, people have their pet favorites and I get it. And I might be wrong. But they'll tell me, you got to look into it. Just go look into it. And I'm like, okay, but I did. I've looked into this since 2014. I've gathered literally hours and hours and hours and hours of research on it. I've put it on my Telegram channel called Flat Earth Refuted. And it's just there as even if you believe in Flat Earth, it's there to show you the opposite of your theory so that you have something to weigh it against. And then for those of us who don't go along with that narrative and uh, feel that it's a false narrative, then there's the arguments, right? Um, and yeah, so we, I'm actually in talks with a physicist. I sent you him his profile, yeah. Josh. And um, I hope he gets back to me. Really cool guy, brilliant guy, knows this stuff inside and out. He has a great website with resources, again, to kind of put that into the pot. But in the end, this is like you said, Josh, it's everybody make their own investigation, their own observation. Don't just trust authorities. We're, I'm in agreement with the Flat Earth community on that. Um, is that, you know, it is important to question everything and challenge these institutions and say, hey, you know, it is important to point out flaws. It is important to be skeptical about certain things you're being told and and ask for evidence. But it can get irrational. It can get out of hand, especially when the evidence is provided that you're being asked for. And it's just denial after denial after denial. And that's where I start to jump off. So there's a balance, but that's where I'm at with it. Matt, what are your thoughts? I mean, when, when we look at truth, I perceive things as that there's an absolute truth that we cannot know. It's unknowable, it's inconceivable, it's incomprehensible. And that we only have this this perspective of truth, this self-evident truth. And so we go through life utilizing our mental faculties and our levels of, of evolution to interpret what that really means. But in the public domain, the consensus, what are your thoughts on on what's happening with this domain of truth? We live in an eyeball, man. I like that. <laughs> There's the new t-shirt, Josh. Let's call Rise Attire right now. Eyeball. I'm sorry, Josh. Unflattened.com. Um, I can't believe we're in this day and age. It's 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 exciting. You know, 2014, same here, David. I started at a bunch of good friends, actually just two in particular at first, but then it became a bunch. And they're all like, dude, you got to check this out. You got to check this out. Why aren't you checking this out? You know, Russell might be wrong. You better look into it because you'll be on the wrong side of history. But I kept my focus, right? And I did look into it for a good year and a half. I refuted it to my own satisfaction. But I would send these things back to these guys and they would not 
touch what I sent. So it made me very skeptical. And they kept repeating and regurgitating the same exact talking points over and over. 2,900 and whatever miles, this, this, that. I'm like, but have you looked into Russell's definition of gravity, Walter Russell, the great Walter Russell? Have you looked into the space octaves, the the inert gases filling all of space, which account for the motions of light? Have you looked into the debunking work that I did personally with a guy from California on the so-called um, ether, which doesn't exist, which Einstein then took those properties and applied to his own space-time theory. They know a lot, but they don't know a lot at the same time. It's like they're so focused, hyper-focused on disproving what they see as religion that they become a religion themselves. Mm. And I'm standing on the outside of both of these things that I've disputed for more than 15 years now. And uh, it's interesting to me that they just keep attacking what's established as opposed to really, I mean, really conclusively proving at least, at least, you know, we operate with models. So, so the, the person who's going to win this at the end of the day has to present a model that works for the, the times we find ourselves in for our modern times. You know, you would not even have your 3D video games if it wasn't for spherical trigonometry and its application to the video game code writing. There's all kinds of spherical math that goes into three-dimensional video games that half these guys probably play most of the day. So, you know, before you shoot it down, you should really do a cursory, at least a precursory look at some of the, the models that are out there that aren't mainstream, but are eventually gonna, in my opinion, and it's well-researched and validated through experimental evidence of my own, and, and demonstrations I've seen done that will replace this false physics with one that's closer and more in tune with nature than either one of these are. God, I love that. You know, you, you said something interesting there about this kind of consensus truth that they latch onto. And it's not just them. I think what what is happening with the flat earthers is an extension of the the big lie that's happened through the other domains of our society, most particularly academia, is that we've been lied at for to so for, for so long that they create these models to trick us and to confuse us to to not make us realize our own nature that this is been extrapolated into this conspiratorial model of the the earth is just completely flat and and it does have this cult like mentality david and i were recognizing that you know with a lot of these people the idea of flat earth is a validation to them of their god of creationism and god and i think the same thing goes for you know modern day physics and cosmology is that the validation of their model is a validation of their lack of or their spiritual beliefs that the universe is a mechanistic machine. Yeah, and this is interesting. You're, these are already great points. Um, it's it's like, and Matt, I love how your work is actually, you're taking on all the sides of this. Um, the kind of work we do on Unslaved as well, the same. Like we're not on, uh, we're not friendly towards all the institutions of science, anyways, because we understand where some of the pitfalls were, the philosophies they based a lot of things on, the mistakes that have been made. But at the same time, like there are many geniuses we can go to. 
that would have actually brought those two fields together of the religious thought and the scientific thought, which is just representations of the left and right hemisphere of, of brain concept of thinking, right? Um, instead, they're they're both trying to eliminate each other, right? Like science is trying to eliminate religion and spirit and the con consciousness aspect and free will. And the religionists are trying to eliminate science and go back into the stone age of thinking in terms of, you know, the left brain application to the world. So there's that. Um, with these types of things where uh, this is what I did when I saw this come into our community in 2014, I started taking a lot of notes. Now, here's the issue. I'm not I'm still trying to sharpen up my math, my physics, like all that technical stuff. I'm more of a philosophical type of thinker. Um, but I noticed trends in some of these arguments that were quite alarming to me because I know a lot about the philosophies that a lot of this stuff is born out of because we've studied it full time for seven years on Unslaved. And I've studied it with Michael who brings just heaps of, of scholars and thinkers. And when I was doing this latest presentation on blending the ideas of Walter Russell, Nikola Tesla, Wilhelm Reich, uh, I noticed that they were all of the mind that there needs to be the elimination of that divide between the scientific mind and the religious mind and more of a blending. Because if they communicate together, there's harmony and that will produce a greater truth that everybody's trying to see. Because if you have two camps pitted against each other, never able to resolve it, either the participants are simply just calcified in their thinking and will not evolve their thinking whatsoever, which is what happens. We're not going to accept what they call evidence and they're not going to accept what we call evidence, vice versa, right? But the truth stands apart from all of us at that point. Now it's about what's that objective truth that we're talking about. And you even have people that will come on and say, because they don't like the confrontation, they don't like the confrontation between, say, flat earth and spherical earth or modern science versus religion, they start to become the middleman that say, well, it's both. It's both. Everything is both. Everything's neutral. Everything's the middle ground. And as much as I like to do that for diplomatic purposes, the truth is not in the middle in that sense. In some cases, yes, but the truth stands above all of that. And you either com conform to it or you live a lie. That's Mayamoto Masashi. You conform to the truth or you live a lie. That's your choice. Um, that doesn't mean we're always going to have it. We're always exploring. But when you, when I hear stuff like this confident assuredness, I am 100% positive that say the earth is flat or whatever we're talking about, where there's no room whatsoever for any other information or other interpretations. Um, that's where I start to have an issue. That's where I start to see that sort of like, okay, this is going beyond just some people that are trying to question science and question what they're told. Right. Um, and then when you're starting to then come to these people and say, Hey, I hear your issues with NASA. I hear you issues with the media, with the science, with the government, with the Royal society and Birch and Russell and all these guys, I hear you, but what about your own observations? If my observations that I've made personally in my life multiple times, um, if, if, if I see that and I'm not seeing what you're seeing, does my observation count? And then they start throwing fallacy at you and all this mm -hmm. stuff. And you're like, okay, so you're not really here. As we saw, Josh, in our debate, there was no discussion to be had. They're coming for blood. They're coming for scalps. And I'm like, okay, so, and that's fine. Like, but it's just an interesting thing that in all these areas, we're all becoming calcified and more divided. Whereas the ideal, all the ideas of people like Russell, Tesla, and Reich, and many others was to unify that in the best way that we could to align with the truth. And I'll finish really quickly with this. 
Wilhelm Reich has a brilliant analogy in his book, Cosmic Superimposition, which is the book I've been studying with my audience. And he talks about it as there's the stage and the meadow. And he said, what happens is the human mind seeking comfort, seeking stability, seeking uh, conformity, actually seeking it, uh, goes into the theater. And it, there's a stage performance that's always happening on the theater. And that's where we determine our reality from is the mm -hmm. stage performance on the theater. Right. He said, but all I'm here to try to do is to grab your hand and say, let me escort you out of the building, out of the stage show. And let me take you out into the open meadow under the glittering stars of the infinite heavens. <laughs> and when he says shit like that, you start to go, whoa, what is he, what is he talking about? And then when he delivers on that promise and says, hey, did you know that, that everything that they were trying to tell you in the Bible, everything the hermetics were trying to tell you, everything the ancient sages were trying to tell you, yes, it seemed confusing to us, but here's what they were really trying to say. And it actually does line up with science more than science will admit because they've put themselves into a camp of dogma, right? So he's like, let's bring it all together and let's explore the fact that there's a connection between all things from the micro to the macro and in every way you, you can't even imagine it. It's so vast. So he compares Ouroborealis, spiraling galaxies, hurricane patterns with the um, internal what he would call the organic energy forces that are actually animating. That's the, that's light that is now alive and active and creating. It's the, it's the source field, the organic energy. And he would say that force that swirls galaxies is the force that is lighting up your eyes and giving you inspiration and thought and everything else. And your body is the material expression of the other extension of that, um, of that duality. And then I go, okay, let's pause Wilhelm Reich and go over to Walter Russell. And lo and behold, he's just got paintings and calculations and, and writings and poetry endless on the same thing. And then you go, what did Nikola Tesla say? And Tesla was maybe even a little more of a materialist in some areas, but he still had that just vast grand vision of the fact that he's like, we're just like slowly putting our toe into the door of the nature of reality. Mm -hmm. And yet everybody's walking around thinking they figured it out. And if we tap into that, wow, potential is just off the charts. So putting them all together, I went, all right, these guys are actually trying to evolve humanity and evolve thinking, whereas so much of what we see claims to be that, but is literally the opposite. It's psychological regression. Mm. And when we find out that humans naturally gravitate towards that, because we're running from a lot of other things we can get into, um, now you can maybe see why we're in a world that feels like a madhouse on so many different fronts, but it's not the true reality. That's just the stage show, you know? I like that. That is a well put statement, series of statements, David. Yes, I agree thoroughly. Uh, science is like, and, and religion are like two parents arguing and we're the children stuck in the middle, you know, just going, can't you just both get along? Wouldn't it be better for our household if we had balance to look at the universe as opposed to one camp? pulling our arm this way and the other camp pulling our arm to the other opposite side. So really you have to let go of both of them. Religion sort of segregates consciousness where science throws it out the window completely and then throws a, a few mice in a cage, which are the neuroscientists looking for the piece of cheese that is consciousness, you know, with, with really no intent to find it because they're looking in all the wrong places. 
Um, I'm sort of with the Rupert Sheldrake. Uh, mix him with Bruce Lipton for your academician points of view on consciousness, which are really great. It's a field, right? It's something outside of us, but very, very much centers us, centers every cell of our body, tells our body what to do, uh, this consciousness does, because we don't have to think about our hearts beating. Imagine how many thoughts we'd have to give in one minute if we had to literally think, okay, heartbeat, Okay, you know, compress, expand, compress, expand. If we had to think about our digestion, you know, the cells centered by consciousness, which run on instinct control, which is really God control, which is what nature runs on. That's why it doesn't rise and fall like man's civilizations. Nature has continuity because it runs on that grand supreme consciousness. And to me, if, if you're not looking at that, at least consider it you know, for the basic functions, because you are not conscious of your your processes of the body. Instinct runs those once again. And how do we explain this thing called consciousness if we don't even explore it? And I think I've heard it said by many great people, you know, people come to these conclusions that consciousness is an effect of matter and they come to these conclusions that there is no such thing as consciousness, but it's their very consciousness that's deciding that these things are so, which is a walking contradiction in itself. Yes, uh, science and religion could definitely, as Russell said over and over, they need to come to the table and put their differences aside. Great men like Reich and, and Tesla and uh, you have your Schaubergers and, and your T.H. Murrays and, and others who... You know, even your Edley Scalnans, who who had some very incredible gifts that they could have offered humanity, but were, were more or less fearful of approaching them. Because when you approach this kind of mediocrity, it always seeks to crucify that which it doesn't understand. And so these great geniuses, they end up being crucified by lesser minds. And a lot of them eventually turn to a her hermit path and say, you know what, they're not worth it. I'm just not going to waste my time. And so incredible minds like Ed Leedskallen, who could have given us the, the greatest gifts on planet Earth, chose to work alone. You know, I don't I don't even want anything to do with those people. He probably tried. I would imagine all these great guys had tried. Walter gave his work of a thousand copies to 300 universities and 700 scientists. He, he only got a couple of responses, one being Tesla. And of course, you know, he said the same thing. Science laughed at my book, scoffed at it, and threw it in the wastebasket. So when we're presented with new ideas, that's what we tend to do. But like you said, I agree with this too. Uh, your assessment of the two camps of, you know, the the flirters. <laughs> is that the word you use, Josh? The flirters and the uh, religio, uh, heliocentric, um, spherical guys. You know, I have... I have nothing to fear but sphere itself, as they say. Um, uh, they they are also what seems to be two cults fighting with each other over whose religious point of view is more correct. One has memorized the fallacies of the so-called other, and the other rejects the fallacies from their point of view from the other, with neither knowing that there's a third option. There's always another option. The model, it's a battle of models. I have heard countless physicians, uh, I'm sorry, physics professors mm -hmm. 
talk about how the theory of the atom is only a model. It's they don't really know how it works, or they wouldn't be smashing particles together at the Large Hard-On Collider, trying to you know collect radioactive emanations in bubble chambers to see if they can find the God particle, which is actually carbon, because it's the most balanced particle on Earth. It's got 10 million known chemical bonds. It's six electrons, six neutrons, and six protons that they call these things, but it's the most balanced particle. It's equal and equal out with a closed hole at the center. All other atomic elements have open holes that are either going toward closing or going toward opening. And so you've got hydrogen, which is one electron, which is actually one ring. Think of a ring in water. If we throw a stone of hydrogen into a pond, there's one ring. Throw a stone of oxygen, there's two. Throw a stone of so on and so on until you get to plutonium, which is 92 rings. They're not particles moving around a center. They're rings emanating from a center. And the, the faster it's unwinding, the more rings are thrown off. And that's why we see the aging planets like Jupiter and Saturn throwing off many rings, which wind up to become moons. I mean, that's what I like. I'm looking for a seamless cosmology. Walter is one of the very first to bring one to my attention. And if anybody has a better seamless cosmology, by all means, bring it forth because it's helping me through the company I'm working with now to build a useful model that's going to provide human beings with a new form of energy production. And we have to think outside of these boxes. If you're in the box arguing with one corner of the box or the other, you're always gonna be in that realm of argument. But to transcend out of that realm of the same old, same old, you have to think differently. That means you have to learn new things. And so that's what I'm promoting. Just I love it. Keep your heads out of the box, folks. You know. So you mentioned consciousness there. Now I actually know a um, an, uh, an anesthesiologist, and I had a conversation with him about consciousness one time, because uh, he awakened later in life about a lot of things that we're we're talking about, and uh, he said that most medical doctors perceive the body as a machine and that consciousness is this of uh, this emergent phenomena that comes about through the functionality of our body and he goes as an anesthesiologist that's anything but the truth he goes many doctors or you know scientists will tell you that we can shut consciousness off he goes that's actually not true he goes what we do to the brain and as an anesthesiologist he says you have different cavities in your brain and each one of these cavities are resonating, they're vibrating. And he goes, what we do as an anesthesiologist is we just disrupt one of those cavities. And when you disrupt one of those cavities, it, consciousness can no longer sync with the body. And therefore, it's not experienced through the body. And he goes, but consciousness is absolutely 100% still there. It's just the body cannot receive the whole signal. And so I found that fascinating too that he was talking that each part of the brain, you have these various different cavities of your brain that are all resonating at a various frequency. And these frequencies converge in a harmony. And this is what allows for the conscious experience to happen. And, then, you know, in my mind, I always go to drugs, right? Like, I'm like, well, I wonder if drugs like LSD and mushrooms, if they're just increasing or, or doing variations in that resonance. You have, you know, fifths and thirds and stuff like this in a musical symphony. And what we're doing is we're experiencing different perspectives or different oscillations of reality. And you can trigger that organically as well by yeah. um, 
changing your environment, uh, whether your heart rate's going up or whether it's going down. There's many different things you can do. Even your diet can impact that. But your state of mind is the most important thing. And um, if we're trying to realize that there are elements in our society that are trying to definitely manipulate thinking towards certain ends, right? We can't just look at that as just a monolithic conspiracy. We have to realize that people, many of us, we're doing that to each other and to ourselves, right? Like that's where it starts is on that level. This is why it it goes out of the world of like the kindergarten level of understanding these things and brings you to the next level. This is just my opinion. When you realize you have a lot more control, at least over your faculties than you think you do. And by giving all that power away to someone else and saying, well, they're the ones controlling me. That's literally where your power is going is because you believe that you're acting on that belief system. So change your mindset, change your belief system, and you'll see your life change. I've seen it happen. I, I This is how I got to this point to be honored to be able to do this work. And even in my other my martial arts career and everything else, it was always about understanding what that is and that you have that potential. And I've seen stuff that looks like magic by mm -hmm. people that have mastered that. What Even what you're talking about, Josh, the idea of you're not shutting off consciousness, you're just changing some of the settings and so the consciousness isn't being decoded properly right or it's changed in the way it's decoding i've seen stuff like that happen even throughout the training i would used to do as just a byproduct of the training and i've seen people do incredible things not the crazy shit that they put out there like guys firing lightning bolts and like disappearing and making people faint by just like, that's bullshit i'm talking about um you're still applying your body, but like think of any amazing human feat you've ever witnessed for a guy that ran the first four minute mile or whatever. Um, there's a level that you have to access that sort of transcends the body and the body catches up to it. And it's about what is that, right? And for Reich, that was the same shit that caused hurricanes, the same shit that caused lightning storms, the same stuff that created super clusters and uh, you know, the, he, he described it like this. He, he said, he looked at the photo of the Magellan cloud mm -hmm. and, um, he said, this is where the energy is. This is sort of the starter phase. And then he moved on towards some of these other things he had noticed through these obs the observatory photographs. And he was saying, see, this is the same pattern as we move towards a creation of a galaxy and the way it's forming planets and why it forms. Like he was talking about the why of it. And then realizing that that's actually the process that's happening inside of you when life gets created. So he talks about the function of the orgasm, the function of even the fact that the word orgasm and organism come from the same or organ come from the same thing. And even an organ, a pipe organ is a musical instrument, right? And it creates resonant sound frequencies. So when you put it all together, it just takes the statement that we keep talking about so much about that as within, so without principle. It just brings it to a whole other level of understanding. You know what I mean? Yep. That's similar to, reminds me of uh, Joseph Chilton Pierce's Biology of Belief. He's, he quoted, his, he told a story of himself running down this hill uh, trying to help somebody or, or to get away from something. Maybe it was a, a wildfire, but... He said he was running so fast down this hill that he couldn't logically think of how to move his legs to keep up with the speed of his body. But somehow he let go and this autopilot sort of just took him. And it, he said it was like, I don't know, a hundred yard hill at like a damn near a 75 degree angle 
of loose rock and shale and somehow he made it all the way to the bottom and when he got to the bottom he didn't remember how he got there only that he was there and that something <laughs> definitely higher than him took over some form of an autopilot and and again we, we touched on this on wednesday's talk but that's that's the vi um, vitalism principle is is the same thing and this is what these great minds it's sort of you call it the golden thread if you will uh I produced a four-part series called Knowing the Creator 101, and I talk about this golden thread being this light of mind or this chi or prana or um, all the different names. You could call it the force. They call it the force in Star Wars. You know, there's a myth mythological uh, perspective of this as well in so many great myths. It's, it's alluded to. But this is a real thing, and I think it's, you know, in the martial arts world, uh, the zone in sports is similar. Mm -hmm. You know, we've talked about this, Dave, a lot. And, and I, know I like how you said autopilot. That, that's a good way to just keep it simple. That, I've felt that many times. Oh, yeah. Know. And I think if anybody's honest with themselves, so are they. Even women in childbirth, they just, when they let go, they oh, often yeah. experience flashes of illumination and they'll tell you. Just like at near-death experiences, too. This is all quantifiable, even though science doesn't want to take a look at it. But it's certainly something to keep in mind as a perspective for the vitalism point, especially when you look at all these great minds uh, from Reich to, to, to Schauberger to Russell to Tesla and many others, you know, who uh, Carl von Reichenbach, you know, with the ode. There's many that talk about this vital substance and it's it's some to some of them, half of them say it's actually a substance. The others say it's not a substance at all, but rather something that comes through the body, but animates it kind of like electricity. You can't see it. You can't hold it, but you can sure get shocked by it. But it's just an interesting concept nonetheless. And I think the, the true pursuit of trying to understand this world, our bodies, and especially our minds needs to not throw this concept out, but embrace it, you know, because it is more interwoven as a golden thread through many experiences, especially the greats among us, and should be thoroughly uh, investigated to be further understood. Wow. What do either of you think that, um, what do you think that space is, if we were to say, because there's people that would say it doesn't exist, but if it was to exist, what is that outer space and how does it relate to the inner space? Josh, what do you think? So, David knows this, that I, I, I developed a theory over the last decade, just kind of researching a lot of things. I got a science background, and then I also have this background in just researching the, the mysteries and occultism. <clears throat> and within the mystery schools, I started to see a pattern, like the same pattern. It, maybe it was just me that recognized it, but I started to see the same pattern that just repeated over and over and over again. And I tried to rationalize it. And I realized that I would have to go to school to, to begin rationalizing it at a scientific level. So I went back to school and I studied, you know, physics and quantum physics and these types of things. And through many deep meditations and, and through kind of what I would call communications, I, I've kind of unraveled this. And I call it optimization theory. And, and what I think space is, is uh, it's, well... It's twofold. I mean, there, there's a systematic approach in the sense of how I explain it, right? Systematic approach is that space exists in an optimized state. 
what I mean by that is that if we take, for instance, the, the yin-yang symbol, we have the convergence of, we can call it the masculine development, the implosive-explosive, the white, the black, the mixing of the waters, whatever we want to call it there. But really what I perceived was happening was you had two systems of energy coming together and forming uh, a new system, an emergent system that comes together through the process of exchange between them. So they come together, they start exchanging and form a new third system. This third system is aggregate of them or average of them. And this new system is more complex. It's more advanced. It's more structured. And it has a, a higher energy potential. Then this new system goes out there and does the same thing over again. It converges with another system. It produces a new third system. So this is the idea of the trinity. We have the masculine and the feminine come together. They produce this new system, this, this, uh, this, the sun, the birth of a new one. And this goes out there and repeats this process. Well, I started seeing this everywhere. And that our universe was the same process, the same system. And that when it comes together, what it's doing in the sense of the law of conservation of energy is it's moving to a point of equilibrium. It's moving to a point of what I would call sum zero. And the way I explain this is kind of with uh, Maxwell's field equations in the sense of electromagnetism is that if I have a wave here that's transmitting, I got a transmitter and receiver, it's pushing that out. And I got another one, transmitter and receiver pushing another wave out, but it's 180 degrees out of phase. And those two waves meet, they cancel each other out. If you measure anything in between, there's nothing there. But yet I still have a power supply that's pushing those waves out. So I call that not zero, I call that some zero or a point of optimization. If I took another wave and I shot it perpendicular to that and I produced interference, all of a sudden you'd, you'd see inklings of that wave start to appear and then fall back to a point of some zero or optimization. And I think that space in the universe is the, the, the system that originally converged at that sum zero state. It's at that point of optimization. And what that, that substance is, I believe it's just fundamental consciousness. I believe it is conscious. I, that energy itself is consciousness. That everything from the lowest depths of, of matter and energy that we can think of, the Planck's length, whatever we want to call it, is nothing more than a, a a, a piece of consciousness and uh, a thought in God's mind, if you want to call it that. But it all has a relative state of consciousness. And I also, I look at this in the sense that if I'm alone with nature, right? Observation is a two-way phenomenon in my mind, is that in order hmm. for me to observe nature, nature also has to recognize me. The same thing goes for God. And we can see this through that convergence of that same process. Two systems come together, exchanging energy, uh, it takes the two systems in order to form that relationship. The same thing with nature. It takes me and nature in order to produce this relationship. Same with any two people. It takes two people to produce this relationship. That relationship is where this flow of energy begins to incur and form this emergent phenomenon. And so I look at nature or my existential reality, external reality, as this, uh, this thing that's observing me. And I'm observing it. And we're in this relationship of energy exchange together. And this is why I think that things that we're talking about tonight and a lot of these things, uh, you know, what we would call, I guess, magic in a sense, actually works because we're in a relationship with the consciousness of the universe and we're in communication with it. We just have to know its language. 
Yeah, that's a yeah. When you put it like that, Matt, what do you think? Well, I tend to side with with Russell's model again. I've thought about this a lot. I came out of quantum physics. I came out of um, the study of the ether in the early two thousands, and I looked at space time and Einstein's ether, and a lot of it was just really difficult to understand. It didn't explain for certain things that are observable phenomena in nature, like vortices, for instance, and, and logarithmic spirals, things of that nature that have um, divine proportions. So his model, which is what I'll explain here, but it's until I find a better one, I'm open-minded, but I'm going to go with this because it seems to hold the most water, if you will. And that's that the Earth and all other spherical bodies, suns and everything else, are compressed together from the outside by the absolute cold and zero curvature of space. In much the same way, you don't need a hard shell to hold in a compressed condition. You just need cold to hold it in. There's no shells around snowflakes. There's no shells around frozen lakes. It's, it's compressed by the cold, which makes it hard. It freezes it. And the same could be said for layers of the atmosphere. We have experiments that we can do to test this out to see for yourself. You know, freeze a drop of water and tell me if you need a steel container to hold its, its composure together. So in much the same way, the cold space gases are three octaves before hydrogen. They precede hydrogen. And why, are, why does science call them occluded gases? Because they leave something when, when it's heated up enough. And take, for instance, a magnet. If, if, if magnets, and yes, they are created through an electrical process, so electricity creates magnets, we know this. Mm -hmm. So no, there's not a force called magnetism. And I'll prove it because I can destroy that force if I put a magnet into a fire. It will no longer be magnetic. So how can magnet, mag, mag, magnetism be a force if I can destroy it? Okay, it's an interesting thought experiment. But nonetheless, these gases of space are able to penetrate the compressed condition of atmosphere, and they go straight and directly into space. So the two poles, like your nose, all planets, all bodies, all three-dimensional objects have a dual hemisphere. They're doubly charged, which means two positive conditions go in, either through the poles or the poles or the hemispheres of the body, and they exhale heat at their equator. And that's where the occluded gases are given off back to space. And then everything in the entire universe breathes. The sun breathes every 11 years. It takes an inhalation and then exhales. Science falsely calls that change in polarity of the sun a, uh, a change of polarity. But it's actually exhaling versus inhaling. And it's very interesting when you think of the universe as being alive as opposed to a machine, because it takes on a whole new meaning. And why would we think that animals can born their children, but planets and suns don't have a birthing process? They just freeze from a big bang from leftover gases in the middle of nowhere that happen to freeze into moons? What if actually some, some of the, you know, new models that have yet to be more explored just because they're shunned by mainstream material science doesn't mean they don't have 
credulity and shouldn't be investigated. I'm tending to think that as above, so below. So if things give birth to things and it takes a male and female to come together and void those, that opposite condition in order to create an offspring from that union, then why not couldn't a planet or a sun be doubly charged? And it made a lot of people mad when I came out early on in 2011, 2012. So there's no mother earth. It's a mother father earth. Hmm. Oh no, no, it's a mother earth. That's our goddess. Leave her alone. No, I won't leave her alone because there's a hot red male contained by the cold blue ocean surrounding it, which keeps it from exploding, much like the cold of space compresses the planet spherically. And why can't you take a flat object into the Marianas Trench? Because it'll crumble up like a car in a car compactor. That's why. But if you send a sphere down to the bottom of the Marianas Trench, guess what? It doesn't smash. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Again, when you put it like that, I've been thinking about this a lot about the disconnect between science and, say, someone like a Rupert Sheldrake who's talking about morphogenic fields, or a Nassim Harriman who's talking about the resonance uh, of all things, or any of these other guys. Um, and you go, okay, maybe it's just semantics. Maybe it's just an issue with the terms. Um, where if we say conscious, you know, there's something that Michael said to me a while back and he uses the word phenomenological, right? And he's like, phenomenologically, you exist in the here and now and you are conscious, right? And you are viewing things. You are viewing as a conscious being. You are viewing the external world. But there's internal mechanisms that are a part of you that are allowing you to view. And yet you're going to view nature and these things and say they're dead things when you yourself are alive. Like he looked at it as a contradiction. And that's how a lot of the philosophers looked at it, is that looking at the universe as a dead mechanistic thing is a contradiction in terms because you yourself are a living conscious being viewing it. Just because we can't completely measure it all and understand it all just yet, who are we to say it's dead when in fact is the sun not going through its own cycles? Is it not emitting the heat that allows this planet to sustain life at the specific distance? That's absolutely perfect. If it was closer or farther, we would all be dead, right? Um, and so if you take, there was, we actually, uh, was it uh, Gregory Sams? We had a show early on in Unslave where he wrote a book called, and he's a scientist as well. He's a physicist. And he's, he came up with his, this crazy theory that he's like, I think the sun is conscious. And I think that's where consciousness is born from. And it's it, think back to all the myths and legends about returning to the sun and how all the, all the, all the heroes are the sun, the moon, and the stars just cast onto the canvas of the earth, right? And they all have the properties of the sun. All the savior deities have the properties that the sun has. And all the female deities have the properties that the moon has, etc. Um, and you think, what's consciousness anyways? Well, if you actually, this is where I went into this ex exploration in my Bible Decoded series called Children of Light, where I went into the Bible and we could have looked at numerous ancient texts, right? We looked at the Bible and it's giving you the definitions of light. It's even giving you the equations for light. It's giving you all these different things. And you go, okay, well, if we think of that consciousness as in scientific terms, what they're talking about, about um photons and bosons and all these different properties that they're understanding about light. The difference between a dead corpse and a living corpse 
is the conductivity of the light, right? Hmm. Is that the conductor, the, the, the vehicle can no longer be the conduit for that light, that expression of light. And Walter Russell said, light is all there is. It's all we're dealing with. It's just expressing itself. And there's a process of how it turns from light into matter. Right. And then you think about it, um, even Richard Feynman and some of these uh, physicists would come up and say the fire that's burning in your campfire is just stored sunlight. Right. The food that you're eating is just stored sunlight. The vegetables, everything is stored sunlight. So you're actually recharging your body with sunlight, both from physically going out into the sun and from consuming things from the earth, which are enriched by the photosynthesis and the photonic process of the sun. So that is allowing your physical body to stay at a field of resonance that it can conduct the light and keep you alive, keep the consciousness that you are alive. And so, and then we even look at what they're lear learning about the brain and the neural patterns and everything else and how they're seeing light. Like it's literally like your brain is lighting up in certain centers and is dark in other centers, especially if you're primary psychopath, shit's just shutting off, right? So you're not conducting the light in a, in the thought of the mat, get ready for that. That's good. That's sick. It's just validating everything. I'm trying to just spitball here. Are we on? Uh, we should be on now. Yep. We are back on. Sorry. OBS crash. That's the, uh, the plight of windows 11 and their automatic updates. They can go suck a dick. Um, <laughs> see, they weren't conducting that light. It turns into ones and zeros properly. And therefore that's right. it died yeah. and now right. it's resurrected and new reborn. So, but, We're ready to go. You know, it's this a good is, old artificial light, right? Yeah, you know, I want to go into the, the quote Matt was just talking about, but uh, I, I want to continue on this conversation. This is a really good conversation because what we're really getting here is we're getting three different perspectives of people who have spent two decades plus of their lives looking into a lot of these different things. And I, I just, I find it fascinating when we all come together and we can find points that resonate together. We can find points that the other goes, oh, oh whoa, whoa, well, you know, that fits in this piece or something, right? And, and this is what this is all about. It's all about the evolution of mind and consciousness, for me at least, in the sense of expansion, right? But so, Matt, you were just talking to us about a quote. Can you Can you tell us this? Yeah, that's very well put, Josh. It's it's sort of like we're playing in an orchestra together, you know, and if you're if you're harmonious, you produce a wonderful overtone. You know, the the sum total of any conversation is only as good as each thought brings to it. So right. kudos to that, what you just said. But yeah, this particular quote, uh, to echo what David was saying about the sun and that wonderful guest you guys had on, he was really brilliant. He inspired a post of mine on on uh Facebook back when I was on there about the sun being a storehouse of idea. It's oh, from, Gregory, uh, you're talking about Gregory Sam's that guy? Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's that was a really man. cool conversation to recommend people check that out. Uh, page 52, there is no separateness. Uh, Dr. Russell writes, in the incandescent sun is all idea that earth knows. The idea of the apple of earth is in the sun. Likewise, the wood of the tree and the violet in the meadow. Likewise, the cool earth is there with its rivers and mountains. All idea is one idea in the light of the sun. The light of the sun is never divided into its many seeming separate ideas until it is electrically extended from the sun and those extensions electrically echoed back to it. The sun is a crucible which melts all ideas into one. 
then sets them out into space to cool and separate into many units of that one. Likewise, idea of mind never becomes the many ideas of creation until electricity divides that one idea into many separate pairs. Wow, he definitely said it way better than I did. That like <laughs> that every time I read the way he writes it, it's very poetic and I like that. You have a scientist that is teaching you in poetry. That's what's crazy about Russell. And you when I look in this book and Matt, I'm realizing how rare this is <laughs> to get. Yeah. I just can't thank you enough for sending this to me. I literally just sometimes when I'm looking for inspiration or I'm just trying to shake up my thought process, I'll just open to a page randomly. Look, I'm here on the elements of matter, you know, like the elements of matter are but varying aggregations of corpuscular light units gathering together in systems familiarly known as atoms. So he's just like, everything is light. Like it's the other book that really, really, really changed a lot of my thinking was The Secret of Light. And I yeah, read it on that's... an airplane. Uh, I can't remember where I was going. And I literally read the whole book. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't even sleep that night. It, it blew my mind so much. And wow. yeah. it's those kind of things that this isn't about getting on your knees in front of somebody. This isn't about joining a different cult or anything like that. These thinkers are, they're the ones asking you to bring something to the table and think for yourself and find yourself. Like even Wilhelm Reich's uh, little book called Listen, Little Man. Mm -hmm. I was overjoyed to find out Michael wants to do a whole show just on that passage because that's like every young, especially young men, need this read to them by their fathers or their grandfathers like from day one. Um, I got to tell you, Dave, thanks to you, I ordered Cosmic Imposition yesterday as well as Listen, Little Man. No of, way. You're really killer. Uh, I, I'm just about 20 minutes left in it, but it's very inspiring. Guys, check out David's uh, premiums, uh, Cosmic. Yeah. Superimposition well, is stellar. Bro. Great stuff, dude. Appreciate that. Well, and thanks. And that's what I'm trying to do is like someone inspired me with this. Someone gave me these books. Someone gave me this knowledge, right? Someone gave Walter Russell this knowledge. Someone gave like we and we we owe a debt to pass that on. And there's a really, really deep level of satisfaction that I have doing this work. I'm Josh. You feel this. That's why you do so many shows, Matt, you feel this. That's why you're back and you're doing the work you're doing. People listening to this show right now, you have your way. You might not do this, but you have your thing that you do. That is the expression of this, right? And, and there's, there's go. certain teachers out there that are cult proof because they, they, they demand of you that you do not follow them but rather that still small voice in you. Follow your own conscience, learn to become conscious of your own consciousness. And then you create a life for yourself that removes the guru, removes the middleman, removes the priest, removes the potter, pastor, or, or all of that stuff. Even the shaman, love or hate Terrence McKenna, my favorite quote by him, and he was a hell of a wordsmith. People knock him all the time, FBI, blah, 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 whatever. I've, I've yet to meet a person who could command the English language like that guy. I have notebooks this thick with words that I had to look up because of that fucker. But anyways, <laughs> the greatest quote he ever said that I, I will never forget is a shaman is somebody who has cured themselves of their own insanity. Mm. That's the definition of a true shaman. And there's a lot of fakes walking this earth and, you know, be careful of the cults. The only the only minds I recommend, and if you're going to study any minds, make sure you, you there's an, another old saying, listen to all, believe none. Okay. I love that. But the great masters who are truly masters, 
are cult-proof teachers. They will never point you into any group that follows or worships them. They will put the impetus and the onus on you to self-develop, to become aware of yourself, and to go out in the world, kick ass and take names, and create a wonderful life for yourself while embracing the sadness, the glory, all of it together, because it's all part of the human experience. You know, Josh, now you know why Matt's one of my favorite people. Oh, absolutely. No. He, 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 <laughs> Cheers, brother. Here's he, some Akantoshin for you. He's fast becoming I'm one slave. of mine, too. You just, know, so my, just so the audience knows, this is what I'm working on tonight. I wouldn't pick this up. This is a beautiful, uh, if you're into scotch, it's a nice single wood. It's a three wood, rich and elegant Akantoshin. You have to be able to pronounce it before you can sip on it. And um, I'm not trying to encourage alcoholism or anything, but I say everything in moderation. It's a fine one, though. It's real nice. Anyways, sorry, Josh. Go ahead. Well, you you know, I I uh, I liked what he said there too because um, you know I have the motto to the Red Pill Project. When I started the Red Pill Project, it wasn't about following one dogma or doctrine. It was about really thinking for yourself, and that's why I say that's why we had the motto is never believe anything anybody tells you, no matter who they are, what authority they possess or profess, unless you can prove it through your own research, your own investigation, your inquiry, your own inquiry, and through your own volition. And that's what we've done. I mean, we have a social media platform for everybody out there, socialredpill.com. And this is what we do on there, is, is we talk, we exchange ideas. Nobody's right or nobody's wrong, but we exchange ideas. And sometimes it gets heated. But, but it's all about this exchange of ideas and communicating. And if, and if someone is logically or rationally wrong or something like that, like, you know, like, no, when I jump, I float up in the sky or something, you know, we, we, we explain it to them and say, hey, look, no, no, when you jump, you come back down. And why that is, I don't know, but we can calculate it, right? And this is the beautiful thing is that we, we're all the, having this experience together, th this reality. And we all have our various different perspectives on what the fuck this is all about. I did a, we did an after show a few weeks ago and I talked about one of my favorite things to do is to go out middle of the night, clear night sky, not when it's negative seven, like it is now, but when it's like, you know, 70, 80 degrees outside and you look up into the sky and you find a point in that sky and you just stare off into it. And you begin to think about creation. You begin to think about, and, and I know Matt's like, dude, there is no creation. We're in the created. I, I, I know. But you begin to think about the universe and what it is. And you try to conceptualize it. You try to comprehend and understand something that is well beyond you. And your mind will go on this trip. And, and you don't, I'm dead sober when I do this. And my mind goes off on this, this whole perspective that, Holy shit, we actually exist. Like, we are, this is actually real. This is actually happening. I am actually here. And whatever this is, we can't even understand it. And to me, that is like one of the most profound thoughts that I've ever had in my life. The fact that we actually exist. If you take modern scientific approach, if you take modern spiritual approach, if you just take your own interpretation, either way, when you come to that conclusion that we exist, it's fucking profound. At least in my opinion. It's also terrifying, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And actually, what you're talking about, Josh, is what Reich was saying about leaving the theater and going out into the meadow under yeah. the glittering stars of the endless heavens. That That is... I had an experience the other night. I was coming home. 
and it was a bit cooler. And I find when it's colder, the, sh the stars just shimmer much more brightly. Mm -hmm. And it was completely cloudless. There was no moon so that I could see. So it was just stars. And I get out and someone up the road had a fire going. So I could just, the smell of the cedar wood they were burning or whatever was coming up. I walk out, the stars are just crazy. I get crazy stars out here because I live in the sticks, right? Eh? Yeah. And then I, I'm across the street from the ocean. I'm across the street from the Pacific Ocean, just like a little inlet here. And so you got the smell and the sound of waves crashing out in the distance. You have the smell of the cedar wood burning. You have the glittering stars in the endless heavens overhead. And then it's a little joke on my Telegram channel. I call it the Owl Council. A bunch of owls come and they haunt the woods where I live. And there'll be one that starts and then off in the distance, another and then another. And they, I feel like I'm surrounded by them, but they're far enough away. And I'll start to talk to these owls. I know it's crazy, but I'll start to, you know, try to do my best to mimic what they're saying. And every time I do it, their conversation stops for a minute. Yep. And then it slowly picks back up. And then if I keep back and forth with them, they'll keep hitting it. So I, I call it the owl council. And so I'm, I'm, that just was the cherry on the cake because in the background, the owls start going off. And I just, I was by myself. My house was dark. My girls were out somewhere else. So I was kind of alone. I'm looking up at the stars and I do this a lot, but this one hit me where I went on like that autopilot and I had this feeling of like a warm embrace. It was just, I don't know, that, that feeling that you're describing, Josh, about the, you start thinking about infinite potential. You start thinking about your life. You start thinking about possibilities. You it just, you start seeing things. You start seeing your thoughts in a way and, and something about that, those conditions of nature of being there in the quiet, but it's not, it's just the sound of nature. You feel it's so profoundly real that it's, it's like your hands start to shake. Right. Yeah. And I think that this was something Rice had pointed out because don't forget, he was also a psychologist. That's actually what got him into all this curiosity. And he viewed the, he, he was looking at it as there's two things happening. There's a deep wonder that humanity has with nature and the universe, and there's a deep fear of it. Mm. And it's because of the fact that you feel like you're out of control of what's happening in nature. And that somehow threatens your survival. So there's a wired function here. But there's a latent fear that ancient man couldn't figure out how everything gets plugged in and turned on. What are the what are the gears and the wheels and the mechanisms that make the sun rise? What are the like and they started they they started to really deeply res it was a simultaneous respect for this process and there was also the fear of the process, especially when you bring in past trauma and cataclysm and things like that that could have traumatized the human psyche. That's a huge thing where they felt like nature betrayed us, right? So what developed was what's called an antipathy to nature, which is a fear and almost like a, a regressive state away from your rootedness in nature. Mm. And that was another aspect of Wilhelm Reich's study was he was like, by what means is man rooted to nature? And he said, when you move into that, when you move away from the wonder and amazement and are taken over by the fear of it, because it's just so like outside of your ability to understand, um, then you're actually disconnecting and unrooting yourself from nature and you're creating an inner stage. And now everything you see of the real 
becomes covered by the inner illusion that you are projecting like a projector onto the screen that you created. And now you're walking around and you're viewing the world. And this is what I believe is what has birthed the idea of everything being a complete fake stage setup. Everybody watched the Truman Show and can't understand metaphor. And they went, oh my God, it's all fake. Plus, most of our information in our lives are spent looking at 2D images on our computer screens and our smartphones. Growing, our, my generation grew up, grew up playing video games and all that. Nothing wrong with it. But when you get sucked into that, these young kids today are just on TikTok 24 hours a day. They're not interfacing with the endless meadow out there and interacting with nature. They're crammed into these super cities that are overstimulated with artificial light and sound that isn't not normal. And they're divorced from nature. And therefore, they are the ones who are the number one uh, preachers of there is no reality. Everything's fake. Everything's not real. And when you lose touch with the reality outside, it's a fact that you have lost touch with the reality inside. And there's a so as there's a relationship to the amazement, there's a relationship to the fear and anxiety, which creates the illusion. So just another point to bring in there that Rice brought up. And when the when the inorganic when the organic becomes inorganic, the authentic becomes inauthentic, and you end up with a a silicone copy. You know that's that's the what robot. a lot of these yep. poor kids. You know, I wrote something about AI, and I'll just throw this at you guys, but it, it it's um, something that what you're just saying, David, makes me think about this. And I get the owls out here too. That's that's something I really cherish. Oh, and I got to tell you a turkey story real quick. Oh. About two weeks ago, I go out to load wood and, you know, I'll go out in my underwear sometimes. It's 30 degrees, but I do it just to, you know, it's the ice challenge without the ice, right? right? And then I can go in back to bed and freeze Lori out. She hates me for it. But anyways, um, it, I go out to load the furnace and there's our 10 usual turkey that we see every now and then. They're all standing out there by the by the soil pile, top soil. And all of a sudden, they see me and they start calmly walking in the woods. And then from around the side of the garage and around the front of the house come two, two more, two more, two more. And then they notice me and they just start booking down into the woods. Some take off flying. There were literally over 100 turkeys going right by me. And I'm standing there just in my underwear like what in the hell <laughs> it was the coolest thing i've ever seen and so you want to go right to you know your your spirit guide book and look up what is the turkey in symbolism uh, and 100 I, turkeys when i say 100 oh, yeah, turkeys what does that mean you're, you're 100 times more but you know basically that that's the, the glory of life of nature is that it can surprise you out of nowhere and sometimes these are these can be thought of as uh, signs, you know, things of that nature, mm -hmm. omens, things like that, that are very spiritual in nature, but also have a, a meaning to them. Don't lose the magic is what I'm trying to say, because so many kids, and this is a great device. We've talked about it, and we talked about it today on my tech show with the president of the university. Um, it's a great device, but it doesn't inspire you. This doesn't create what these two hands can so never forget the natural order of yourself, the natural intelligence. And that leads me to this real quick little blurb I was thinking of mentally when it comes to AI. If materialism, physicalism were causal, why would there need, why would there be a need to create artificial intelligence? 
in an effort to imbue matter with consciousness. Wouldn't it have created itself automatically if their theory was true? Hmm. The need for creating AI communicates to me that their theory is flawed from the, be from the beginning. There is no AI in nature. They create AI because they deny NI, which is natural intelligence, the existence of the creator or the original intelligence behind nature. AI, therefore, is the bastard child of materialistic reductionism and their denial of consciousness as a causative factor. If AI were real and therefore in any sense an intelligence, why didn't it create itself? AI was invented to attempt to affirm to the materialist that consciousness does indeed come from matter without recognizing that their own consciousness was the cause of all such artificial intelligence. Dude, that's powerful. That, that goes back <laughs> to the same argument of flat earthers trying to validate their, their belief in God through the understanding that the earth is flat is that AI is these, the, these atheists, these materialists who are trying to validate their theory of consciousness, that it's emergent from matter by the production of AI. It, wow. That, that was, that was all you're going to have to send that to me. That was awesome. <laughs> just send us like the after notes, Matt, and we'll post yeah. it. This, this is great. Right, and I love sure. it. It's, I love how you're saying AI would have created itself. I've always argued it too, from the angle of what the sort of global control system has in place. Cause the people running that, um, they are just, they're control freaks trying to control nature and reorder nature with the technology to become gods, quoting Yoel Harari directly. Um, and you sit back and you go, why would a human species, a healthy human species or any species, why would it create something that would make itself obsolete? Like, why would we humans be running as fast as we can to get this AI thing off the ground? Um, and I'm not even here saying there aren't applications for AI. I'm talking about the grand vision that they have of uploading their conscience. They're, they're, they're thinking of the philosophy behind it, right? These guys are, they have a belief system around AI. It's not just a technology that can be used. They want to become AI. Right. So what does that tell you? That it's tells God. you, yeah, that, that's what that is. And and the, the struggle to become God like that, uh, rather than to realize you're already imbued with the spirit of God right now, because you, you are light, because God is light. So there you go, end of discussion. They're, they're like, no, we want to be, be the ones that create and command all of nature according to our will, according to our mind, to satiate our desires and our fears and inhibitions, right? And um, so that's who we're dealing with. That's why they operate conspiratorially is because they're rebelling against the natural order and they know it. They just right. believe that, oh, we now can do it. But nature is going to win in the end yep. over those people. They and seek the, the unobtainium, bro. It is the unobtainium. Bro, it is the unobtainium. They seek the unobtainium, bro. It so, is. It, so, you know, David, you were talking about before that is this um, this fear. Now, what it reminded me of is in the Bible, they talk about the holy fear of God, the holy fear of Yahweh. Now, this is interesting because I've talked to a lot of people who are Christians about this specifically. And they're like, well, it's fear, you know, this 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 trembling inside of, of, of being hurt or harmed because you're in the greatness of God. And, you know, I went out and looked up the Hebrew definition of what they're actually talking about. It's, it's yara or yara, right? 
And what it means is trembling in astonishment of great power. Now, is that not what we were just talking about in the sense of those various different experiences? Is this? Yeah, I think fear is the bad word. I think what you said, astonishment, that sounds a little better. It's this, well, it's this, it's a, not a bad, it's not a fear in the sense of something being hurt or hurting you, but instead it is this, this trembling that comes over you. This, this lack of control that comes over you that you give into that brings about this understanding of it, it is so much greater. It is so much bigger. It is beyond your comprehension. And, and you come to that realization that it is beyond you. And maybe, maybe those are points of enlightenment. I don't know. That we understand that, you know, that mind is so expansive that mind isn't finite or limited just to like it is with us with these with these levels of 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 consciousness but it is a hierarchy that it that it expands and grows and that we are existing in this evolution of mind at least my thought yeah no and this thing about fear um there's a few different ways to interpret it there could be that way of defining it which is much more clear to me um but the way that the priests could have defined it Mm-hmm. is fearing God is about fearing the establishment, fearing the government and fearing your leaders and fearing your masters because you well, are that's slaves. That's what the Book of Kings right? is all about. Exactly. So there's the, there's two different reflections on how that affects the psyche. And remember, one pe- thing people forget is there's the information that you're taking in through what you call your conscious mind, right? Where you, I am reading this book right now and it says this and that. And then there's the subconscious mind that's interpreting way more data than your conscious mind can possibly understand and this is another point was it russell that brought it up i can't remember where they were talking about how the mind can only take in so many inputs of what's actually happening in real time around you at once um we so then the mind oh it was nathaniel brandon who was bringing this up he says so then the mind goes through the process of editing and sorting the information that's coming in to better suit the survival of that being. So we have this editing process of our brain and our perception that's happening all the time, all the time. Every nanosecond of your existence, your brain is editing things around you because it's literally making split second decisions as to what is going to be brought into their conscious mind. And because the subconscious mechanism of the mind is also built in with defense mechanisms to protect your mind. Okay, so there's nature knows what it's doing, but when out of order, it can totally fuck with you. So you and this is the illusion. This is the stage. This is how the stage gets created. And this is actually what's trying to be achieved through these experimental mind control projects and all this kind of stuff is they're trying to induce this state of confusing the editing processor of your mind. Okay, so when you're now filtering reality through this editing process, because you literally physically can't perceive all of reality all at once. Um, what happens is now we edit what we want to see versus what we don't. And this is happening subconsciously, meaning you're not consciously aware that you're doing this. That's why if you walk up and tell a sociopath, why are you contradicting yourself literally every time you open your mouth? They're like, no, it's you that's contradicting yourself and you don't understand and apologize to me. And you go, no, no, no. The reason they're in that state of mind is there's, they're editing more of it. They're not trying to open up those pathways to see as much as they can. 
and bring the subconscious to the conscious. They're just keeping it default settings. And then all of the information they're getting is based on what suits your belief system. And so you can't, you can't convince somebody that is in that state of mind. This is why I don't waste my time getting involved in too many of these different debates on all these different subjects. It's entertaining. It's like watching UFC, but uh, you know, how much time of your life do you want to waste trying to convince people that don't want to be convinced? Um, so you go, all right, but realize that we're all doing this. I'm doing it. You're doing it. We're all doing it. And your ability to perceive truth, because that's really what my curiosity was, is why can't we see the truth? Why, if I speak to a Jehovah's Witness or a Christian or an atheist or a Jewish person or a flat earther or a globe head or a whatever, or a sp we have all these different camps. Everybody is equally convinced that they are correct and that everybody else is equally wrong. Or what happens when we die? If we were to say that all the religions of the world have validity, then that means everybody's going to hell <laughs> because <laughs> all the religions think all the other religions are going to hell, right? And so you go, it's just a crazy messed up mess. So when I see these types of thinkers and the people that think on these lines, they just transcend all that bullshit. And they're just trying to coax you to towards seeing the real, the real, real, real thing. And what Alan Watts said, he's like, the real deep down you is the universe, is God. Yeah. And you are something that the whole universe is doing in the same way that a wave is something that the whole ocean is doing. And to me, that kind of a statement takes the fear away from so many people that are stuck in medieval dogmatic thinking that are afraid of the meadow of under the glittering stars of the infinite universe. They're afraid of that concept that terrifies them. They can't figure out how nature's plugged in. So therefore it's fake makes it safer. Let's bring the sun closer. Let's make things more special. It's only us. We're the special chosen ones. I'm the chosen cult leader, whatever that kind of thinking is regression. Whereas what these guys are saying is that's the stage and it's a stage, not just set up by a bunch of Illuminati groups. It's your own inner conspiracy to set up a stage to edit reality consciously now, beyond the subconscious editing, the conscious editing of reality to the point where now the world is ordered and controlled the way you like it to be, except here's the problem. Nature doesn't give a fuck what you think you're controlling. Hmm. It's going to do what it does. And that's why when I came out to British Columbia, uh, I saw that this place was alive there's apex predators crawling the woods. There's life happening in a in a crazy way right in front of me, and I'm like, "That's nature. That's to be respected and honored." Uh, it's to the point where when I go to a beach or I go into a forest, I thank that place. I'm like, "I'm grateful to be here. Thank you for having me here. I'm a guest here. I'm going to treat this place like I'm a guest." And that mindset has brought so many gifts to me, and it's made me respect nature even more and realize nature wins. And opinions be damned. You have to humble yourself in front of that great spirit because it's the truth and you're the one trying to catch up to what the truth is, not the mm -hmm. other way around. I like that. That's beautifully said, David. Hey, I got to qualify one statement from earlier. I can't say anything to add to that. That's just what you just said. Should I'm going to have to listen back to that after this is over, but very profound stuff. Uh, to qualify a previous statement when I said, it's un bro, it's unobtainium, bro. I was referring to um, um, James Cameron's um, oh, the Avatar movie, Avatar 2. Yeah. Yeah. Where the kids 
everything they say begins and ends with bro. In other words, my son told me about it, and that just came to my mind. So see what uh, <clears throat> that gets when you go down the rabbit hole there. So <laughs> but, uh, anyways, really, really great stuff, guys. I'm, I'm, I'm just in awe. I love these kinds of conversations. It's like sitting around a campfire with buds, you know, and these are the kinds of talks that I hope people will have with their families, with their friends, because this is the real deal. You know, we want to know, we want to figure out why we're here, you know, and when I was 17 and I had my first experience on one gram of psilocybin cubensis, it was at a party, you know, like everybody usually does. It's, it's at some party and, you know, the parents think you're over having a, a nice stay over at some respectable kid's house, but every jean jacket wearing hoodlums at this party and things are getting passed from hand to hand. And I remember going and I look into the mirror and this thing's kicking in pretty hard now. And every, every substance has its own voice. And I think planets do too. And suns, mm -hmm. I think they all have consciousness and that our actual being, our soul can eventually evolve to, inhabit a planet and live for millennia, you know, tens of millions of years as an, in, as an individual planet or even a moon, for instance, or a comet, you know, there's no, there's no end to what I see that consciousness can imbue these different forms that are available in the universe. But the particular thing that I was told by this, this voice was to ask the question defeats the answer. All things are knowable. And it said, um, there are no barriers, but the ones you place upon yourself. And so that led me to, you know, eventually I would do more of these experiences, but ultimately I would, I would end up doing these things alone as Terrence McKenna suggested five dried grams, a heroic dose of psilocybin cubensis alone in the woods with a fire. And I had four or five more of these experiences for a total of about 11 in my life. And the last one I had was post an illumination experience when I actually experienced that divine ecstasy. I fell to my knees and for 15 seconds burst into tears, overwhelmed by something that I was creating. I was actually making this production and the music hit me so hard. I, I, I it put, took me to my knees like, like a, like a pain in the backwood, but this was just the emotion of ecstasy, which really has no opposite. And I realized that, you know, there's no need to do the substance anymore because what I was always looking for was what I already had. The key was there. I was asking the mushroom questions for answers that existed in my soul and are substanceless answers. They, they don't need to be discovered with a substance. They need to be discovered with thought, with, with reflection, with inner eyes and inner ears leaning inward toward the soul. And so I realized quite quickly that there's a difference. There's, there's a difference between substance experiences and substanceless experiences. Not to say that you can't enjoy them and that there aren't some good properties for PTSD survivors who might use this stuff, as studies have shown, can be quite good under the right conditions. But the point I'm trying to make really is that that natural intelligence is in each and every one of us. Like you said, David, it's, it's nature's gift. Don't shun it embrace it if you have shunned it try embracing it because there's no lie in nature you know it will always reflect our choices 
and nature, not man, holds the right to the reaction. And unfortunately, man makes bad choices sometimes and can drag the rest of the race into it with them. We were talking about that today, about the, the state of the world in Ukraine and the fact that we're on the verge of thermal nuclear Armageddon, which is, you know, there's not a lot we can do about it from this point, but we can try to inspire through our own ecstasy, our experience of of, of what is divinity to each one of us, that that soul-making factor, that, that thing that separates, that makes you, as Josh said, go, oh my God, I'm alive. You know, when you, when you experience this, and that's another thing I experienced in that event at 17 years old, I realized for the first time since I was four years old and had gotten vaccinated, it took me that long and that experience to realize, my God, I'm alive. I actually am alive and I have my own mind and my own thoughts. And that's a powerful thing. And, and you, you constantly, when you study conspiracy, you sort of have these wake up calls that go, oh my God, I have my own mind. I'm seeing things that nobody else sees, but it's not for the maverickness of it. Or like, I've got my merit badge. I'm going to sew on my BLM patch now and my LGB patch over here. No, it's about really just realizing the potential, the absolute potential, limitless, endless potential that lies dormant in, in your own human heart that wants to bud, it wants to grow, it wants to express itself. And that's your real self who has ridden in the backseat all those years through the schooling, through the propaganda, through the matrix. And suddenly you're born, the egg breaks and a little ray of light comes in. And I think that's the separation the, the pleasure principle is the realm of the psychopath. You know, they never grow out of it. They get so far into it that everything becomes that. Where the reality principle is the realm of, of the person who finds themselves and creates a reality for themselves that is also in concert with nature and in harmony with his fellow man. You know, go, go and do no wrong. Seek to help those who will help themselves. And above all, put yourself first. Because like on fire calls, they say, you, not anyone else, are the most important person. Because if you're not aware of what's going on around you, you can hurt other people and yourself. So always hold yourself as the most important person on any scene in the world of life. Awesome. You know, I had my um, my first awesome. experience with psychedelics at 14. Sorry, 13. So my brother Jay, who's also a co-host on the show, came home one night and he's like, "You want to you want to eat some LSD?" And I'm like, "Oh, sure, right?" Like I'd smoked pot a few times, and um, and anyways, he woke me up at like 9:30 because something happened. He comes in, he gives me a half of a hit of some uh, what, what they call purple Saturns back in the day of some white blotter. And uh, we took it, and I had one of the most profound experiences of my life, the first time taking LSD. And I remember standing in my bedroom next to my brother, and, and Pink Floyd's um, One of These Days was on. And so you got the percussion, you got the going. And we're looking out a window in, at the end of a kind of like a, a side road into this corporation is this little kind of like utility shack, and it has a single light on. And during this time, it was as if I experienced the progression of time. 
because the synchronization of the waves and, and everything around me was just bump, 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 like this. But it was at one point that I came outside of myself. And this is like what you said, Matt. I, I realized that I was alive. Like, whoa, like, holy shit, there's so much more to this reality than, than high school and sports and girlfriends and all this stuff. That there's so much more to reality to be explored. And I, I'm actually writing my first book. I've been writing it for quite a few years now. It's called um, Transcending the State, What I Learned from Over 150 LSD Trips Before the Age of 18. And I went on a binge of LSD. And I just took LSD as much as I could. I was dealing it for a long time. Um, and me and my friends, we became psychonauts. And every other day in the summer, it was either mushrooms or LSD, mushrooms or LSD. And we just tripped my buddies. We called it Wonderland. He lived out in the middle of nowhere in western New York, just trees and animals and nature, and we'd just eat some LSD at 9 a.m. Yeah, we'd eat LSD at 9 a.m. and just go out there and trip our nuts off. And it reminds me of uh, the song Good Times, Bad Times by Led Zeppelin, where they say, I'm trying to find my way back to that same old jam. And this is one of the greatest lessons that I learned from psychedelics is I was trying to get back to that same trip, that experience that I had during that trip that first time. Trying to find my way back to that same old jam. But then you come to this realization, the unhidden lyric within the Good Times, Bad Times song by Led Zeppelin, is I'm trying to find my way back to the same old jam, but that can't happen. It's impossible. It'll never happen again. The point is to make and create new experiences. The point is to expand from that point of experience and have new ones that evolve you even further. And that was like the greatest thing that I ever learned from psychedelics. Yeah, like that you're you're coming back to the realization that even though there was a substance that was sort of altering the settings, you did that. Yes. That's you. Yep. And what you were communicating with was what you always can communicate with it's just that we have the ego, we have the blockages, we have our inhibitions, our fears, our things that some of them are subconscious, some of them are conscious that hold us back from really understanding that, right? And so there's a lot of um, there's a lot of ways, and everybody can kind of think of it their own way. As to how I've done mushrooms a couple times, I don't feel a huge need to do it, you know. It's just more of a like, and if I ever do it, I'm always like, just, just like very small, just, just I, I want to be functional. I don't want to be blasting off to Pluto or something. <laughs> and um, it was actually a really funny story. <laughs> I'll tell you quick, just because it's Friday night, we're having fun. Is, um, I was at Buddy's place. He has this uh, Oktoberfest event every year. And only the people that come to this Oktoberfest, they're, they're the same people every year. We don't know each other outside of this event and everybody's like that. And they're all different people from different stages of my buddy's life. And he just keeps us all come, we come back to this Oktoberfest event and he does this thing. We do the whole like Hammerschlagen games and all these drinking games and we just have fun. So I'm up there and I'm trying to go to these things to say, this is a break from work. I don't need to talk about anything. I'm not getting into any philosophical debates with anybody. I'm not talking about anything. I'm going to behave. And I go and lo and behold, uh, some guy starts talking to me about stuff and then another guy comes and then before you know, it's a big campfire and everybody's talking about shit. 
and we've had a few, you know, whatever. And we're starting to have this really deep conversation. And I totally had forgotten that like an hour before everybody had had this mushroom tea. <laughs> it's just one of those things like you're just having fun. We're doing hammers. And then all of a sudden, oh, my, what's that mushroom tea? <laughs> that sounds like fun. And you don't feel it hit till later. So then everybody's a mix of kind of drunk and the mushrooms are setting in, which doesn't always work out for everybody, to be honest. But it, the, the mood of it was around a fire. And we just started having this incredibly deep conversation with people that it seemed like an hour and a half ago were barely speaking coherently. Okay. And nobody's a deep philosopher there. It's just for fun. But all of a sudden, the inner philosopher started to come out of everybody. So it's this beautiful event. We're having fun. I'm like, wow, that's an interesting thing. Everybody's settings just got switched from like drunk party to let's talk about the nature of reality. And then I get up, my buddy, he's Scottish. He comes, he wears a, he rebels against the whole uh, German fat because like, they wear all the German stuff. He's like, I'm Scottish. I'm going to wear the kilt. So he's got the kilt. He's like, what? I'm going to go light up a joint. You want to come with me? I'm like, sure. So I go for a walk. He's smoking a joint. So now I've had some beer, I've had mushroom tea, and I'm smoking a doobie with this guy on the street. But we just had this amazing conversation. Lady comes up to us. Don't even know her. I've never met her. And she starts just talking to us. She's like, hey, we're having a party up the road. We're having a little garage party. So you're having a garage party. Come on over. So we're like, okay, we'll go to say hi to this other party. We'll go over. And this... <laughs> It turns out two of my students are there from the dojo that I used to run before it got shut down. I'm like, Sensei Dave, oh my God, it's Sensei Dave. We haven't seen you forever. So this is a sort of reunion moment. But keep in mind, I'm a little tanked on mushrooms and cannabis. And I'm trying to stay straight. I'm like, hey, what's up? How's it going? So then he's like, one of the guys is a kid who's kind of grown up. He's like, Sensei, you want to spar? I'm like, what, what? You want to spar me right now? Like, what are you talking about? And so he goes and he grabs boxing gloves. He starts putting boxing gloves on. Then people start moving chairs out of the way <laughs> in the garage. And I'm like, this is 14 year old kid who wants to spar with me. And I'm sitting there going, okay, okay. And I had thought that the mushroom was hit, but they didn't hit just yet. So I'm putting these gloves on and I'm just playing around with this kid. I'm wearing boots and like a jacket. Like it's so, I don't even know what the hell is happening. So we're just playing, playing around with this kid. Then like a line starts to form, like a line of people. So then his mom, she ran a boxing gym locally. She wants to spar with me. I'm like, okay, I'm sparring your mom. This is really weird. So I start sparring with this woman. Of course, I was like, I'm just like, you know, and she's just started coming right at me. Right as soon as this happens, the room starts to curve like this, <laughs> the whole room. And I just see this like, woman with curly hair and she's coming at me with these boxing gloves and i'm just like it's slow motion what the hell then the dads wanted to spar me dude i sparred i think like the guy told me after the the, the scottish guy left he he was like i don't know what's going on dave is fighting the whole neighborhood right now i don't know what's going on so we're there but i guess i sparred like 10 different people i don't even know and nobody got hurt nobody like it was just like it was, it was super yeah. chill i was hoping that it would be fine I go back to the place and I'm sitting there like, what the hell just happened, bro? Well, doesn't it happen to be two o'clock in the morning? I know my wife isn't going to come and drive me home. I'm not driving home. I literally live on the opposite end of the city. Plus I'm out in the sticks. So I'm like, ah, I'll just walk home. <laughs> Dude, took me two and a half hours, pitch black roads out in the country. I was freaking out. 
but I had the craziest soul experience of my life walking home after this weird fucking experience that happened. And so that to me, I, I was like soaking wet when I came home because I was just exhausted from this hike all the way through. But when we, I was walking this one moment, I was walking and the lights of the city are gone. And it's literally like downward in, down this hill into a mouth of blackness. And I'm kind of tripping balls at this time. All right. And I'm going and I'm like, I have to go. I have to go. And I start, I'm like, think of like, what would Frodo do? What would all my, so I go and uh, I come out of that. And even though that was supposed to just be like a fun party experience that whatever is super cool. Um, I had like a spiritual, almost out of body experience during that time. And I guess it was just the mix of it. But anyways, that's my crazy mushroom story. <laughs> I sparred the whole neighborhood and walked home and almost got swallowed by a pit of darkness, but I survived. That's great, dude. Yeah. I, um, I, 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 I learned after that. So I took LSD. Last time I took LSD was 26 and I was still, in, uh, don't tell the military this, but I was still in the military during the time. And uh, I went home and we got all hammered and drunk. And uh, my buddy's like, dude, our, our friend's got some LSD. You want to go get some? And it's like 2.30 in the morning. I'm like, yeah, let's go get some. That'll be fun at 2.30 in the morning. Let's drop some hits of LSD. That's smart. And uh, when I woke my buddy up, he gave us some free hits. And we dropped and we went to a house party. And uh, this, this really screwed me up pretty bad. Um, I was there and my brother's there. And for people who don't know, my brother Jeremy is a, a, psych, a diagnosed psychotic schizophrenic and lived with it my whole, well, since the time he was 16 and so forth. So he drops LSD with me. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a good night. And um, there's this point in the night where and I had my little Razor flip phone. That's how long ago it was. Oh, the Razor. I had a Razor yeah. back in the day. Yeah, yeah. So I start freaking out because I start noticing the syncopation between my breath and my heartbeat. So I'm realizing that my breath and my heartbeat are synchronized and I'm start thinking consciously that if I don't think about breathing, I'm going to stop. It, it was just this weird fucking thought. And so I had 911 opened on my phone ready to call and I was going around saying goodbye to everybody. Because I thought I was going to die because I couldn't keep it up. I couldn't, like, when you get in the patterns when you're tripping, it fucks your mind up. And so I'm like, oh, I can't keep this up. I can't keep this up. I don't. And so I found my brother and he's like, oh, come on with me, dude. I, I, dude, I know exactly what's going on with you. And he takes me in the house and he gives me some peanut butter. And he goes, put this in your mouth. And I'm like, huh? And I threw some peanut butter in my mouth. He gives me some milk. He goes, slam that. And I slam that. He goes, you feel better, don't you? I'm like, Actually, I kind of do. And he goes, follow me. And he takes me up this trussle, like a, so a train track trussle. And there's this hill on the side of the embankment of the, of the trussle. And he's like, let's go for an adventure. And we start walking up the hill. Then we're going downhill, uphill, downhill, uphill, downhill. And he's just in front of me going, hee, 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 hee. And I'm like, what are you laughing at? For like 10 minutes, we're just going up and down, up and down. And he goes, dude, we've just been walking in circles this whole time. And I'm like, What? we just been going up a trail, down a trail, up a trail, down a trail. We never even got to the top or went anywhere else. And I started oh laughing. He goes, I told you I would help you. I told you I'd save you. And it was at that moment, like, I realized it was all in your fucking head. And that he, as a psychotic schizophrenic, 
existed at this different plane of reality and completely understood it. Understood that it's all in your head. That that everything you're experiencing, all the fear, all the pain, all the anxiety is all created in your head. And if you can take that mind and take the attention and redirect it, then you can change it. You can change the feeling, the thought, the emotion. Mm. And it Even never, under the influence. Yeah, even under the influence. And it was at that time that I... I never done a psychotropic drug since then, but I've since learned how to use my mind to obtain those states going through meditation or using things like binaural beats or, or music or just being still within nature in silence. We talked about silence the other day. Um, You know, the, the black keys on the piano, the space in between the notes. If you can find that, you can obtain these heightened states of consciousness. You can obtain these same feelings and sensations that you you have during the influence of LSD. The beautiful thing is, is that you're in more control of them naturally when you obtain them through those processes. Right, right. I agree. And is that passage in the Bible, man? Is that right there? Be still and know that I am. Right. Ooh, Be still and know that. that I am God. And that's that's the old knowledge. What do you think about that shit, man? I'd say. Um... The greatest gift I've ever been given was inspiration, you know, and and Walter himself said, inspiration is the language of light. It's the language that the creator uses to talk to you and that you use to talk to God. And inspiration is certainly unrelated to really any other experience because I've done my share of the, you know, the psychedelic journeys. I've done my share of, um, I've attempted meditation. I'm not really good at it. I've done it probably less than five times in my life, but I like to to use the term waking meditation where, Mm -hmm. where your imagination, you know, you're into something and you forget your body, but what you do when you're inspired and what you can do when you inspire others is really, I think the key, you know, that's the key to really getting people to motivate, you know, that's why these corporations pay, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars to bring um, keynote speakers in to inspire the body of the company to get them to do better work. You know, that's why there's such a thing as inspirational, motivational speaking. But ultimately, inspiration is, is it's a rare gift. And uh, most people, when they get the feeling of it, they don't hold it. They they either find something else to do or turn the tube on or turn on the radio or, you know, for me, I like to, I like to play. um, There's a few stations I like on Pandora in particular, but find some genre of music you like and then get into what you love to create with your favorite music going. And, and then you're riding this wave of inspiration and boy, can you really produce some masterful work when you're in a state of inspiration I noticed a comment, <laughs> just say no to drugs <laughs> on one of the videos. Uh, I know the three of us, we're not promoting anything, but I will just say that, you know, we're being real here. And when you're real, you 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 speak of events that you've been through and not necessarily saying we promote the use of anything, but just use your own caution. I recommend if anybody's going to do these these things, have a guide or be around people you trust, number one, and do not go into a 7-Eleven. <laughs> when you're higher than your underwear mushrooms because yeah. the candy aisle i mean there's there's a muslim guy behind the counter and i'm going 
this is all bullshit. This whole fucking aisle is bullshit. <laughs> and my buddy's going, dude, dude, you're in the candy aisle at a 7-Eleven. I go, I know it's all fucking bullshit. It's all fake, you know? And this is 19 years old. You know, we're drinking 12 packs. It's irresponsible when you're, when you're that age, but it's nonetheless something you never forget. And I stopped eating candy after that for the most part, but that guy was ready to call the cops, you know, and you got to be in the right setting folks. Nature is really the best place if you're going to do any of this kind of stuff, because, you know, you get into the city and, and you get citified by it all, but the concrete is a whole different vibration than nature. But yeah, it's, it's a very interesting thing, the mind, because you are saying, Josh, I had my own experience in 2007, one of my uh, heroic dose experiences. And I, I swore and I was reading David Icke's The Biggest Lie or the, mm -hmm. yeah, The Biggest Lie, Biggest Secret, whatever it was called about the reptilians controlling the chakras of the royal families. And I'm sitting there and, and the book's like next to me on the couch and I'm just thinking about stuff thinking about the reptilians. And, and then I look up and across the room standing in front of the window is an eight foot tall reptoid in a velvet gown. No way. Yeah. And I'm dude, I'm sitting there in my underwear. Right. And I'm thinking, fuck, I got two choices. I can run down the street in my underwear screaming, or I can kill this fucking thing. So I stood up and I went and I went to put my hands around this thing's neck and it just vaporized into mist. And then the voice of the mushroom said, ha, 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 silly little monkey. What, look, look what your human mind can do whoa, or create, you know? Cool. And I just went, whoa, that's fucking bizarre. And so then I sat back down. I thought about it for a while. And that really made me have to question what, what is the source of evil on this planet? Is it interdimensional entities? And then I even came up with the idea that, you know, you're not just having an experience of the mushroom, the mushroom is also its consciousness is experiencing what it's like to be human. Mm -hmm. And what if it freaks the fuck out and then you have a bad trip, right? <laughs> so it's just the nature of these things are, they're always two way, right? Just like a conversation. So you got to be very careful in, in how you do these things and set and setting are very important. So my later trips, I would, I would be very, you know, again, I've only done about 11, but the last six or seven were, were from a scientific curiosity. I wanted to find out what I could find out, especially about this so-called God or this force behind nature. And I didn't really learn a whole lot, to be quite honest, about that force. But I did through my own illumination experience, which was substanceless. And I had a three-day experience in the light. It was minor. It wasn't a full-blown one like Doc. I didn't write down charts and drawings and a whole new science. But I did lose my fear of death. I lost, I, I gained a sense of my own immortality. I lost the feeling of guilt, sin, and shame. And I was able to really just become more heart-centered. And, and, and it was like a unification experience. But every cell in my body was light, you know, for a minute. And my whole being was... In fact, Lori and I went to a party. It's three day started on a Friday morning. We went to a party Saturday night and a buddy of mine goes, Matt, you're glowing. What the fuck are you on mushrooms? And I said, no, dude, I'm sober. And I had them laughing so hard. It was the weirdest thing though. I, it felt like it, it could have almost been like that, but it wasn't, it was a very strange experience, but one I'll never forget. 
but there's definitely a difference folks. And if you follow your inspiration, which is the greatest advice I can personally give to anybody on this planet, which works for me, follow your inspiration because it will disappear quickly. But if you ride that wave of inspiration, what you can do with it is beyond imagination and you do your best work with it. I love that. You know, you, you someone had commented, like you said, that uh, don't do drugs. And, and, and I'd like to say to that is that sometimes you have to do what is appeared to be as wrong to realize the right direction or what is right. And, you know, for me, all the drug use that I did during my teenage years has led me. Um, I've had some profound fucking experiences in my life. And I will tell you right now that if my mind did not open during my teenage years to this whole realm and world of understanding, if, if I didn't drop three hits of LSD and sit down and, and read the, you know, the, the, the Emerald tablets or the Bible or, or hyperspace by Dr. Dr. Michio Kaku, which I've done like literally just drop three hits of acid and start reading a book. Then those experiences that I had in life, I don't think would have happened. And I've had profound experiences. And so I had to go down that road to learn what not to do or the best ways to do things might not be that, if that makes sense. That sometimes we have our own paths and we have to choose them. And so drugs, I don't recommend to anybody. I don't recommend anybody go out there and do drugs. It's a choice that you make upon yourself. Um, But if you're looking for something to expand your mind beyond a certain point, if you're hitting those walls, is that you might want to look at these things that do expand your mind and not necessarily I mean, music. Music is a great mediator. That not only, you know, I had this experience one time. I was at Bethesda Medical Center in Maryland when I was active duty military. And uh, you go into Bethesda Medical Center and they have this kind of like, um, where the two buildings meet and there's like this this hallway that connects them, this bridge that connects them. And in this bridge, you can go outside and there's a bench that sits right there. And Bethesda Medical Center is right next to like a national forest. So there's this forest right across the street. But there's a road that runs right in front of it. And obviously it's going in and out of Bethesda Medical Center. And so you can sit on the bench and you can look at the forest. And I'm sitting there and you hear like the cicadas and you hear the chirps and the birds and you hear all of these these sounds. And then all of a sudden you sound from a car. Yeah. yeah, a sound from a car come in. And you hear the noise of, of, of nature slowly go down to nothing. The car goes by. And as it starts passing by, you hear it slowly come back up. And this happened every time that the cars went by. And I'm like, it's a distortion in nature. It's distorting nature's song. And so I decided at that point in time to try to listen to nature's song. What is nature trying to tell you? Because music is always trying to tell you something. Every time I go outside, I take my arms and I turn my, my palms backwards and I put them to my back. And every single time I feel the wind and I say, hi, God. And the reason I do that is just, it's just something to me. Like I, I learned through all this stuff that anytime that I put my hands behind my back, I'll always feel wind. Doesn't matter if it's the calmest day in the world. I'll always feel wind. And when I feel that wind, it's hello, God. 
And that's just nature reminding me of who I am and what I am. And it brings back all these thought strings of memories and these, all these ideas and these inspirations. And I mean, shit, these experiences that I've had in my life, I've talked about them a lot on this show, David. I think I've told you quite a few of them, uh, you know, past lives, meeting people from past lives and having it validated to you a thousand times over to where you're in this experience and your heart just drops like, oh my effing God, I can't believe that just happened. And, or that person just said that like things that you shouldn't know that, you know, I mean, this when I look up to the stars at night and I, I think about existence, those are the things that compound me. Those are the things that guide me. And like, when I look up and I'm like, holy shit, this is really real. Like, it, it just blows my mind beyond anything. And I love that epiphany, that aha that comes about from that. And I've always said that it's um, evolution comes about from learning the things that we did not know that we did not know. That when we have those aha moments or those epiphanies, that that, that is the point that our consciousness expands. Now, I had Max Egan on and he's like, well, brother, there's nothing that you don't know. You know everything. You're simply just in a process of remembering. And he's right that we are in this process of remembering. But in our finite conscious state, this remembering is new to us. It is an epiphany. It is an aha. It is an expansion into this new point of knowledge that we've rediscovered once again. And it needs to be that. Yeah, no, that's, that's crazy. And um, And I would just say, yeah, you don't, there's things that can assist you into different states of consciousness, right? Mm -hmm. But you can do all of those things without that. You have everything built within you. You have all the tools, you have the full piano scale at your fingertips at any time. And, um, it's like, it reminds me of in the movie, Ben Hur, when he goes to train the chariot race and he's staying with that guy, that, that, uh, middle Eastern guy. And the guy looks at him and he just, starts this conversation with them. And as they're wrapping up, he looks at me and he goes, there are many paths to God, my son. I only hope that yours will not be too difficult. <laughs> and I just thought that's interesting because he's on this revenge path to go after Masala, right. right? The protagonist or the antagonist. And the guy looks at me and goes, yeah, go get your revenge. But just remember, you're ultimately on a path to God. And another way of saying is you're on a path to finding yourself. Yeah. You're, you're on the, you're on a path to, leaving the stage and walking out onto the meadow where you're going to feel naked. You're going to feel afraid. You're going to feel insignificant. You're going to have all those feelings, but that's the, that's the child part of you. If you're feeling insignificant in a vast infinite reality, um, just sit with that and ask yourself why, you know, does a grain of sand on the beach feel insignificant? Does one of the multi trillions of cells that make up your body feel insignificant? Um, you know, does a hair on your, but your, your feeling of insignificant is, is a lack of your ability to connect with that and realizing even though you are one element of this vast drama that's happening of reality, you are a part of all of that. You are the sum of all of that. And you are a part of it. It's if, if the as above, so below works, then it's the opposite of insignificance. It's actually completely the opposite. 
Um, just wanted to say that. And then really quick, gentlemen, I apologize. I just have to jump off for a few minutes. I've got a call. I just want to let people, I'm trying to find a location for my dojo. I want to reopen my dojo. I've been looking for two years and I've got my bead on a place and the CRD director is trying to get a hold of me to ask me some questions about it. So I'm just going to go talk to this person real quick because I want to close this. And then Follow your inspiration. That's right. <laughs> See, it happens yeah. while we're having Real this conversation. Time, I don't believe it. There's no coincidences. So I'll be back shortly, okay? You keep chatting. Sounds good. All Sounds right. good. Yeah, brother, it's it's an interesting world we live in. And, and when you realize how special our place is in it, like David was saying right there, the insignificant feeling, we've all had it. We've all felt that before. You know, and, and that's part of the human experience, too. I think it's something we all have to go. I'm more of a totalitarianist in experience that you can't just like, like I said, the other interview, um, sunlight without shadow would be a calamity in nature. Mm -hmm. Could you imagine just everything lit up and no shadow at all, you know, or, or a moonless night forever and just sun all the time, you know, so the totality of existence means the depression, the anxiety, the anger, the contempt, and then the content, the happiness, the joy, the creativity, these are all things that make up the human experience. And they're all purposeful, you know, and, and, and one of the things that, again, I go back to Dr. Walter and Leo Russell, because their work was so profound, impacting on my life especially when I was coming out of this experimental phase trying to find God. And I'm like, you know, I just can't find him. I'm searching, I'm searching, and I just can't find it. And the whole time I'm looking outside for the thing, you know, and, and here they are saying it's in you and get rid of the middlemen. You don't need the religions. In fact, one time Walter Russell told a crowd of people at a gathering on his uh, book tour back in 1947 that people could discard their Bibles because when he released his message of the divine Iliad volume one and two, they wouldn't need them anymore. <laughs> that He wasn't well received. No, I bet he wasn't. That comment. He was almost booed off the stage and, and Leo's out there going, don't say that. Don't say that. They're not ready for it. You know? So there's these great minds. They come along and they, they want you to take the, they, they want you to drive your car, to drive the vehicle of yourself without interference, without people pulling on the wheel going, come over here to this camp or turn that way. You know, it's something to drive your own life, to drive, to be the chauffeur of your own existence and to bring yourself from the back seat to the driver's seat. You know, and that's that's the experience I went through in life. I I wrote a poem about it and it was about how I would climb this oak tree when I was real little. And this voice called me up there. It was the voice of the creator. It said, come to the top of the tree and sing to me. I couldn't even get up to the tree. The branch was 15 feet off the ground. So, you know, here I am nine years old, tugging on my dad's pants pocket going, dad, give me some rope. I want to climb the tree, you know? And he's like, what? That tree's too big for you. And he ends up taking me to the hardware store, buys me some rope. I get on top of the garage and I do my Indiana Jones and throw the rope over the branch and climb up to this 15 foot tall branch. And then from there, I'm all the way up to the very top of this tree had to be almost 80 feet, 90 feet, something like that. And I remember sitting in the very top branch. I had my hands on the top branch and there's two branches coming out that my legs are over and the wind's blowing me four mm -hmm. feet this way, four feet this way. 
and I'm looking down and I see all these little houses and little people and little cars. And, and I'm just like literally on top of the world. And the voice says, sing to me. And so I start singing gibberish. I don't even remember what it was, but it was like I was in the light. Just It was like pure ecstasy to me to be on top of the world like that. And then I come down because my mom, she comes out and just freaks. She goes, Ed, where's your, where's, where's Matthew at? And he just goes, and she starts screaming, man, get down from there. You're going to die. And man, I was so scared. I looked down and, and suddenly I realized, oh my God, I'm way the fuck up here. I'm just a kid, nine years yeah. old. I, how am I going to get down? And And some of these branches, you know, they're bigger than, you know, I can even put my arms around, but I managed to get down and that was very scary. And, and often in my poem, I wrote that that was kind of the world pulling me down into a state of fear, you know, and for a long time, I, I could never get back up to that point of, of divine inspiration until later in life around the age of 39, when I had that experience again, you know, of that light, that bursting out inside a short circuit of the hemispheres of the brain which create that flash of light and and it can last for some time for some people but it was very profound I'll, I'll just say that you know we're all looking for some kind of meaning in life but ultimately we get derailed on what our true purpose is our true mission and like you were saying josh it, it, there's a calling that comes to you and you know you sort of find out what you're supposed to do by doing certain things you're not supposed to do necessarily, but those are the experiences that lead us to a, a better life, a better choices and more balance. Really. It's ultimately all about that one word balance and the less balance you have in your life, the more deleterious effects, the more balance you have, the more cohesion you have, the more harmony. So it works in tandem, I think. Yeah. You know, you know one of the things that you said there is, I mean, having those experiences, it goes back to that, that Led Zeppelin lyric of, of trying to find your way back to that same old jam. Is for me, I searched for a long time trying to, to have that same trip and, and nothing, none of the other experiences that I had on psychedelics ever even compared to that. I could not get back to that same one first experience. It's the same thing with like smoking weed or, or any of the other drugs that I tried. Especially cocaine, especially cocaine, like cocaine. You can never get back to that first time and you try, trust me, you try, but, yeah. <laughs> but, um, what I, I realized, was a ping pong champ for one night, there you go. just one night though. Right. But, but you try and you come to this realization that it's not about getting back to that one point because that one point was unique. And this brought me to the realization that all life is unique. That you, me, everybody, every individual, every individual aspect of reality is unique unto itself. And, and the way I look at this, and don't mind the definitions as per Russell's universe or the physical universe that we, we have here, but when we were born as a baby or an infant, is we were born at a certain point in time and space. We occupied that certain point of time and space. And if we have an expansive universe that's rotating, everything is in continuous motion, that that means that that alignment that occurred exactly at that time of our conception and birth will never, ever happen again. This also means that every point in time and space as we progress into the future, 
is a complete unique alignment unto itself, which of you are the center of that alignment for yourself, which makes every single one of us as conscious beings completely unique unto this creation. Mm -hmm. And I find that one of the most profound thoughts and ideas. One of the things, Matt, that I, I've challenged myself with is to, to try to think or comprehend or understand or imagine or inspire the things that have never been thought of to, and I, and I call this kind of uh, learning what um, you do not know that you do not know. Right. So mm -hmm. I call that the is actual evolution is le learning what you did not know that you did not know is bringing that uh, cure to nescience. And that if you can have those ideas that nobody else has ever thought about, that nobody else in existence and they're a unique experience, that no other species or alien or human being that's ever existed in this universe has ever thought about, you are, you are contributing to the evolution of God, to the evolution of the universe. You are discovering something that's never been discovered before. And so I seek on my daily basis to try to draw that in, to try to, to, to organize my mind to comprehend those things that people don't think about, that are rare to think about, that it, people try try not to expand on, that to try to get that grasp of that one thing that nobody's ever thought about. At least mm. that's my thought about it. Well, it's interesting. Some of the things you said parallel uh, John Nehart's book, Black Elk Speaks. I don't know if you've ever, ever read it, but he spoke. Uh, Black Elk was a sickly child, and Nehart basically wrote his biography after many interviews and uh, blackout talked to him about being sick a lot as a child. And he'd have these visions. Well, one in particular um, in his, in his more formative years in the teenage years, I guess, later teenage years, he came out of this sickness thing eventually, but one of his last ones uh, he had fell ill and he had gone, this is kind of, I'm just paraphrasing, but blackout says, I saw, I looked out from the, the mountain and I saw the central mountain of basically the universe is what he's connoting. And I realized that I was the central mountain and the central mountain was everywhere. <laughs> and that's really cool. That, that one always stuck with me, but that's a really great book. If anybody wants to check it out, it's John G. Nehart. N-E-I-H-A-R-D-T, Black Elk Speaks. Very inspiring. Um, and his visions, he saw the sacred hoop. He realized the purpose of life, even though he was being showcased around Europe as a carnival attraction for the Indian displays of that time. But he willingly took part in it because it, he felt that he had something to give to those people, even if they did sort of just look at it as some kind of token sideshow but he still saw some importance in it, you know, and a lot of the, the Indian performers did, they found some, some purpose for it all. In other words, that, that became a reason to keep going, if nothing else to educate, you know, this unfamiliar culture about their ways and their customs and things of that nature. But yeah, that, that central mountains, literally that point, as you were talking about points, getting back to points, I think one of the great realizations we can all have, especially with, with older age, <laughs> I don't know how old you are, Josh, but I'm, I'm 51 about to turn 52. What? And you don't look a day over 38. 
no shit. Yeah. <laughs> well, my knee feels it, but <laughs> I'm I'm, um, I'm 41, so. Oh, cool. You and Dave are about the same age, then yep. I take it. Okay, but yeah, I'm I'm your senior, so you have to wheel me around in a chair if we ever meet at some point. But <laughs> to the fire. I want. I, I actually used to be a gymnastics instructor, if you can believe that. Oh wow. I took nine years in ninjutsu, so I still work out every other day, you know, and, and try to stay in shape physically and things like that. Isn't this interesting? So Dave is obviously, what, third or fourth degree black belt. You took ninjutsu. Mm-hmm. I took Tatsudo, Ishinru, and Shotokan. Nice. I did that for, for about 14 years. I competed in mm-hmm. amateur athletic union for, for well over 10 years. Um, crazy how martial arts kind of brings people into this idea of consciousness and mind. Yeah. I think it, it, for me, it started with the gymnastics and then the martial arts. We, we wanted to learn ninjutsu so we could learn how to do backflips and I kept fucking landing on my head. So I decided me and my buddy that it was time to go to the Y YMCA and actually take a gymnastics class. So I could not, you know, break my back and neck on accident and we actually did learn the right way at that point how to do backflips and we became so proficient i ended up teaching uh, rollers jumpers flippers spinners and eventually an adult class at 17 years old because we got real proficient at it but yeah we we studied uh under stephen k hayes his 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 books and and um Masaki Hats, Dr. Masaki Hatsumi, who's the 34th generation Togakuru style grandmaster from Japan. And the, the, the dark art of it all was really attractive because then I didn't need to pierce my nose and buy black leather boots and, and wear all black in high school. I could just come home, strip off my stuff, get in a ninja outfit and go jump from roof to roof at midnight, you know, which was more satisfying than than dressing in goth or joining that kind of thing so it was very solo a solo kind of journey but we studied out of books and you know we we did missions and we did underwater breathing and all kinds of things walking on pavement and when we incorporated the gymnastics it got really fun at that point so um i almost feel like we're doing dave a disservice talking about all this because he's probably going (laughs) wait i want to come in and tell you my story about but we'll have to we'll have to bring him in. I'm sure he's probably getting good news. Let's hope about a, a dojo. Hope. I'm glad to hear that. You know, that's that's part of don't ever give up. Why you should never give up on on your dream and things will find a way to come to you if you really want them hard enough. But you got to work. You got to take that step in the universe. This isn't a choice for the universe. The universe has to take a step back towards you. Mm. When you take a step toward fulfilling your desire, the universe takes a step. For the evil or for the good, it does the same thing. But nature, not man, holds the right to the reaction. And just know if your if your choices are in line with nature, people, then so will the reaction be in line and balanced. And that's what you're really wanting to do here on this planet is leave it better than when you found it and make yourself the best person you can be, which helps those around you and inspires them to the same degree. Uh, that's well said. It's like those. Uh, it's like when I was in that foyer and I was observing the uh, the animals and the insects in nature. Is that if one animal contributes its song, all the others harmonize with it. Right. And nature and the environment is the same way. Is if you contribute your song that's in harmony with natural law, the universe will harmonize with you. 
and, and that's, I mean, it, it goes back to as above, so below. It goes back to this idea that there's nothing new under the sun, that we, we are, I, I like to look at us as everything, an aspect of frequency or resonation, oscillation, everything in the sense of, of waveform, because it just vibes in the sense of the analogy. But nature is a system. And we can either be dissonant to that system or we can be harmonic with that system. And if you're harmonic with that system, that system will gather around you and prop you up. It'll yeah. it'll be yep. beautiful to you. Yep. Exactly. Nature has a way of affirming when you do right or wrong. <laughs> so I mean it's we really are like in a in a a natural simulation, I'd say. It's it's more like a mirror. You know, what you think is what is reflected. You can tell a lot about a person by their own surroundings. Is their house in crazy disarray? That that could yeah. be a absolute um, indicator of what goes on in the thinking processes. So it's not out of mind. We talked about this in the, in the last episode about OCD actually means overly creative drive for some people as opposed to an obsessive need to just wash your hands. There is There is a point to order. And there's a point to chaos, but chaos is seemingly the one force that takes order apart in order to disorganize it so that mind must then at that point reorganize it. Tornado is a Dude, good example. You you just you just now so remember I was talking about optimization theory? Mm-hmm. So in optimization theory is each system moves to a point of optimization. And then what happens is you have an occurrence of chaos, which is the system disorganizing only the reorganized at higher states of, of organization. And so mm-hmm. chaos is nothing more than a system re-optimizing. And so right. you, you just nailed it. That was, that was perfect. I loved it. <laughs> yeah. My buddy, John Shelyak, he's a theoretical nuclear physicist, mathematician. He, he liked to talk about chaos theory a lot. And so I looked into that for a lot of years and, you know, it's, it's the higher ordered system thing. The, the caterpillar breaks down into an ooze and imaginal cells appear inside of this ooze that then connect with each other in order to form a higher state of order out of this chaos. And if it's successful in beating the caterpillar's immune system, which is trying to destroy it every chance it gets, because it doesn't want to go into a higher order. It wants to stay in the lower order and control everything. You can kind of put this metaphor onto the world today, but here's these imaginal cells, these conspiracy realists who ran out of conspiracies because they all came true. We need new ones now, Josh. And so we're connecting with each other in order to build the the neural network, which is going to create the new imaginative parallel society that eventually becomes the butterfly and flies freely from flower to flower, no longer crawling on its belly on the dirty floor of the, the canopy of the forest, you know. So there's a there's a bright uh, a bright future for all of us who can who can stick with that unfoldment of our purpose for being here, and no, the whole world's not going to go with us, and that's all right. A lot of people are gonna they'll be arguing, the the flirters will be arguing with the rounders until the end of time, or at least but until neither... the, the first hotel in space is created. <laughs> <laughs> Well, then let's create the fucking hotel so we can right. put an end to this argument. Right? I was thinking about that today. Um, you know, it's interesting because we're moving into the future. I mean, every every moment of a life is moving into the future, but we're seeing it 
exponentially being created right now. And there's things like simulation theory. There's things like AI that are discussed. Now, simulation theory is, is one point that's very interesting in my mind and perspective because when physicists or scientists talk about simulation theory, um, I look at them like they're fucking idiots. And the reason I look at them like they're idiots is because they're comparing the nature of reality, the encompassment of all truth and absolutism to a computer program construct. And mm -hmm. you have to switch and reverse it. Is what we have created as a computer program, a construct, a video game, is nothing more than a rudimentary and very elementary perspective of the universal reality. In mm -hmm. the sense that our computer is made up of silicon wafers that are transmitting, you know, various different through various different components, electrical signals at the very bottom of that. These are molecules or these are atoms or these are very fundamental particles that the universe is doing at the same degree, but or sorry, at the same level, but at a much higher degree in the sense that a construct or a simulation is nothing more then a human created construct or simulation is nothing more than a very rudimentary or elementary or simple design of what the universe is already doing. So is the universe a simulation? It defend, depends on how you define it. If you want to look at it as comparable to a computer program, I'd say that you're crazy. If you want to look at it in the sense of comparable to a computer program to the universe and the universe is a simulation of reality or an iteration of reality, I like to look at it like better like that, then it makes a lot more sense. Mm -hmm. And then this, this evolves into the whole AI question. Right. Thus that comment I made earlier with that quote about it, because I've been thinking about this a lot for a long time, but uh, from Russell's perspective and, and some of the Eastern like Yogananda and others, they yeah. say that this is, is a motion picture universe. So in other words, optical, which how do we, see the universe through our optic spheres called eyeballs and i've heard it yeah i've heard yeah i've heard it said many times but basically we see in black and white and upside down and through our our convex lenses that turns that image into color flips it upside back right side up colorizes it and projects it into the visual cortex in the back of the head mm-hmm so you're not even seeing with your eyes, you're seeing with your visual cortex, which is where the cinema is located in the back of the brain. So all this shit isn't happening anywhere out here. It's happening in your own brain, which then your mind encodes and decodes because your mind is non-local. And so that's why you can have out-of-body experiences and still recollect it. You know, that's that's another interesting exploration that I did going into that scientific field. Why, why do the eyes project into the visual cortex and is reality really happening out here? So I think that, that, that might be part of their simulation idea that it's just a program, but then I think the, the proof for it, that it is a simulation, but IE a natural simulation is that idea is never born. It's not idea never exists. All you can do when you have an idea, you have an idea for a podcast, okay? Or you have an idea for a painting. Let's say Josh's uh, Mona Lisa. Josh paints this 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 Joshua Lisa painting and stick figure. Yeah. <laughs> now I can scrape with a razor blade 
part of that ink off and am I going to find that idea in that ink? Am I going to find Josh, the essence of Josh, the mind of Josh in that ink? I can break it down with an electron microscope and it's just particles, atoms spinning around uh, nuclei. It's It's got no existence whatsoever, nor does it contain Josh. It's a simulation of Josh's mind idea in what we call a painting. Just like a poem is not the poet, a song is not the composer, a guitar lead is not Steve Vai, it's Steve Vai's expression of his mind simulated into a recording. So that is what is called a natural simulation because you're not going to find Steve Vai in any of those guitar lead notes. Right. And you're not going to find Robert Plant in his own vocal track. It sounds like Robert Plant, but there's no Robert Plant in that magnetic tape or inside that CD light spectrum or inside that MP3. So what is mind really? What is idea really? Is it something that's timeless and can't exist except in the form of a body that simulates it? Because a simulation, remember this too, a natural simulation has a uh, an expiration date. Mm. Mind, on the other hand, idea is bulletproof. It does not expire. It will exist forever. And so that's why they say idea is bulletproof and those who have the best ideas often change the world. And so you create bodies to as closely simulate your idea in the form of your body to re-inspire your fellow man to the degree of your own inspiration is to the degree your fellow man will be re-inspired by the like. But that's really the natural version of simulation versus AI, which is simulating through computer what we think is reality through artificial means but isn't really reality because we deny consciousness in the first place. So we'll create our own that comes from these microchips, which we program with our consciousness all the while denying that consciousness, but ones and zeros, you know, that that's proof for us that we can inject ourselves into that. But I'd rather go into the original substrate, the original background, the original cause, if you will, which is mind in my opinion, because anything we make that's man-made, has to first be thought of and then made with these two hands, just like nature must be made by a cosmic mind. All man-made items must be made by a man's mind. And so that's where I see the relationship between the divine the divinity of man and within man that he can express to the degree man is God to the degree that he knows he is a drop of ocean of the ocean can realize it's much bigger than itself but it will never, at least not for millions of lifetimes, realize that it is the whole ocean. Right. You know, that's that's a bigger thing than any of us. And I think that's where spontaneous combustion comes from. People get too much of that light. Adios, they go, you know. I, I, yeah, I think that that has a lot to do, I think, with our, our chakral centers and that they become overloaded because, sure, you know, we're living boring lives. We're just mundane and, and you have this overabundance that actually formulates. But I wanted to touch on something you said there. You're talking about light and, and the eyes. And this is one thing that I've learned through study of hermeticism is that what a lot of these ancient hermetics were talking about was that our eyes have rods and cones. These rods and cones become vibrate when photons hit them and they send electrical signals down our, our, our uh, optic nerve to our cerebral cortex. 
and our cerebral cortex puts the whole reality together and and it goes out and grabs from your memory banks and it uses all your filters and all your education and your indoctrinations and it formulates this perspective of reality and says this is what's fucking out here right and it gives you this tapestry of reality that we're observing right now but this is the illusion this is what buddha endured under the bodhi tree when he met maya Maya was illusion. Illusion right. was the light perceived by the visual spectrum. This is the illusion because it's not real. It's created in the deepest, darkest area of your mind that's never experienced actual photonic light in its existence. This is what I believe in Christianity that they're talking about as the great deceiver, the deceptive light. The deceptive light is the light of reality that you are perceiving, that you believe is external to yourself, that you believe is real. Uh, this is why I said Jacqueline and Boaz, the, the guardians of Solomon's temple, is they, they their weapons are illusion and trickery. They make you believe that everything is external to yourself when really the gateway is within you. And when you start to look within, it's like what Jesus said is, when thine eye be single, the body shall fill with light. The kingdom of heaven is within you. And that when we start to look inside, this is when all of this stuff starts to unravel and make sense. That our existential reality, although we have a relationship of it externally, it exists within us. And that that relationship should be cultivated from that point within us. Understanding that that point is not us specifically. It is the art form of God, like you were talking about. It's the picture that was painted, the poem that was created. And that we must read from that and extrapolate the, 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 the painting, the poem, or whatever it might be. Yeah, that's beautifully said. Mr. Dave, Sensei Dave. You want to fight? I love just jumping back Josh. into this conversation. I like have this like business talk. And then I come over and it's like the unfolding nature of God and reality was <laughs> the line. I'm like, I love, I just did left brain, right brain. Um, actually, me I and just Josh got to, our boxing gloves. We want to take you on around. That's you right. Come in and please come. I'll make sure I've done lots of scotch beforehand. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, you actually, you guys got to come down here. That'd be so cool one time. Or if we get together somewhere central, we do the campfire, we do the, out under the stars that'd be a cool like five oh, awesome. gotta do awesome. one of those badass but the guy i'm talking to is uh one of the directors of or he is the director of the the area that i live in they don't have like it's so small it's, there's no mayor it's just a director and um i was just asking about zoning for this place and he's like 99.9 percent .9 sure we're good to go he's just checking one thing and uh that would be sick because that would mean i get to go back into the martial arts business again so well I'm we need to toast you, brother. if that happens yeah. Yeah. yeah get your mugs up here hey like hey it. let's make it happen let's the make it sensei happen dave he's back in business right yeah, on kicking ass and taking names and showing people how to do it it's gonna be fun Ninpo econ brother yes dave what well, are you, it's third degree fourth degree uh japanese jiu-jitsu i got my third dan uh golden gloves kickboxing black belt karate Damn. I have no idea what in BJJ because I never did the ranking, but I've rolled for a long time too. Got to get back into it. Uh, I, I've accumulated different um, titles over the years because yeah. I've trained since I was nine, but I never really, I didn't care about that stuff. Like yeah. I care about it in the sense of, okay, I'm recognized 
at this level by people I respect. Like that's cool, right? But most of the time I'm in my gym, I'm just wearing my black belt or or I'm just there because to me, I've just been a student the whole time. Like that's really how I see it. I'm just a student that still loves it. Um, and I just want to keep teaching it. And it's like what we were saying before about this knowledge that we've all learned. I believe that we have an, a duty to share it. You can't just hold it all to yourself. I mean, you could, but if someone shared it with you and gave you the knowledge, um, would you not want to pay it forward? Isn't that what human beings are supposed to be I, doing? I think that that's, that's the point and the purpose. I think that it, right. it would be selfish of us and, and detrimental our being to hold it in. That, yeah. that it's a natural it's a natural process to want to tell people the truth or or show them your perspective and understanding of the world right and then when you gain skills or you you've you've put the time in to craft yourself into something and other people want to learn the same skills um it's you have a duty to do it and it's very strong in my martial art upbringing by my senseis was we're instilling the knowledge that our senseis instilled in us. We're giving that to you. You have to go and instill that knowledge in those that want to learn it. Like that's your duty now, especially when you reach that level. And so I've been feeling a little bit broken inside since I lost my school oh. a couple of years back due to this pandemic. Yeah, and it's because that was my community as well. Like that was my, my, the place that I could, be myself and and create in that space and then benefit others. And then I learned so much from my students also. It was such a beautiful vibe. And when that got shattered, it broke a lot of people. I was working with kids. I had competitive teams that were ready to go to like high level tournaments and stuff. Even though that's not the main focus of how I teach, I'm not like a big fight gym. I, I want to make it more about the martial arts. But um, now that I started feeling like, okay, I'm turning 41 in April. Um, I'm feeling myself slow down with my motivation for training and getting into it. And, you know, I think that's natural, but I was starting to feel sadness. I was like, am I going to be retiring from martial arts? Like, is that what's going to happen? I'm just going to do this full time, which is great. This is like mental martial arts. Right. Mm -hmm. But I grew up in dojos, the smell of it, the feel of it. And I have this and I'm still, I still feel great. I just got to get back in shape and get going again. And I'm like, I'm missing that. And I don't want to lose that. I'm not ready to retire. I've got another 20 years in me for sure. This so, um, And then I want my girls to grow up in a dojo. I want them to grow up and just feel what that's like. And I want my daughter to be working the desk, learn how to be an entrepreneur. You know, like there's so many opportunities. So anyways, I got all these thoughts running through my head because I'm, I'm, I'm actually like pinching myself that this could happen because we've been struggling for the last two years to find a spot. And lo and behold, this, this is how it worked out friend of mine is a plumber. He's also one of my students. Um, he's just having a random conversation with a guy and he's like, the guy starts telling him, yeah, I got all this junk in my warehouse. I bought this land and I, I built a big warehouse and, um, I just got all this shit sitting in there. I got to get it out and find a tenant to take it over. And my, my buddy's like, dude, you need to know this guy, Dave, he's, he needs a place for his martial art dojo. Right? So that's how it happened. Just synchronicity, random. Then he calls me, I go meet the guy. I look at the place and I'm thinking at first when I pull up, I'm like, this is just going to be a shed, <laughs> like a fucking, like just nothing. Right. But I go in and he's got like cedar walls on the front entrance, oh, nice. brand new doors. Like everything's brand spanking new. It's gorgeous. Like the, there's like in the training space where I would have it, 
there's like garage doors that the light filters through. So you just rip the doors open in the summertime. There's a lot in the back. I could put the battle ropes and some like ax throwing targets. And you or walked whatever. in there and saw it. That's you the saw key. The, no, you that's saw what it is. That's picture. what it is. I saw it in my head. I went, oh, this is it. And so I'm just letting the validation come in that my intuition was correct. So yeah, I'm that same thing 99%. happened to me. When I walked into the building that became the Russell Museum, I, I went, there would be the might of ages. There would be the science room. That's the, that's what it, that's what inspiration does, brother. You you see the completed picture yep. and then all you have to do is take it apart and build each piece until that picture in your mind is complete and behold, your idea standeth before thee. And we created it. It's we almost created. like a uh, form of like conscious time travel. Like, this literally just happened to me as well. Like we were living in a house and we were renting the place before we purchased it. And so we were under contract to purchase it, but they were letting us rent it until we sold our house in Colorado so we could purchase it. And the house just didn't feel right. It just didn't like, you couldn't see yourself in it. Right. And the contracts really just didn't work out. And they said, basically you had until February 1st to get out. So I started looking for a new place and lo and behold, the same place that I was looking at in October was still available. And I'm like, let me go look at it. And I walked into it and I saw, I walked in and I immediately saw my stuff over here, my stuff there. I saw my mm-hmm. kids playing. I saw, I'm like, this, this will work. This, this is it. Like I see myself in this house and I go down to the basement. I'm like, I see my studio right there. I see like, and, and it all unfolded. And lo and behold, that's where I'm at right now is literally that house. <laughs> wow, congrats, man. That's yeah. awesome. And because this is the second move in a short period of time, right? Yeah, second a whole four person household, four animal move in three months. Jeez. That's and there's there's concrete evidence for your listeners that the power of mind is the greatest power. And if you, any of any person can do this mm-hmm. and don't don't when you see something and visualize it, hold that thought, hold it and work toward it. Take steps. The universe by law has to take every step to meet you. You take two steps. The universe takes two steps. Eventually it solidifies. It comes together and behold, there it is. You know, that's the way it works. Yeah. I'm just going to put a big decal on the entrance that just says, behold, <laughs> the dojo. Enter the dojo, something like that. I don't you know. Should, you should put ipsum tenosius over it. Know thyself. <laughs> I'm gonna put like I don't know a mix of stuff. The guy, he's got all this old antique shit in there, and I'm looking around, and he's like, "Yeah, I just got to get rid of all this stuff." And he's got like, like legit sabers that he's collected, like art, art, art antiques. I'm like, okay, wow. okay, put that shit aside. I'll give you a fair price. I'm taking the swords. I'm taking the anything that is like weaponry or training usable. Just put it in a side and just I will put that. So I'm going to turn this place into a gem. I, if if this works out and guys, sorry, I'm sitting here. It's all happening live, and I don't want to be like if someone from my local area is watching this. They're like, he's going to open. Just hold your tongue. I'm just I'm close. Well, I'm very very close. Here's One the thing: is you just put it out to the universe. Not only to the universe, you just put it out to hundreds Millions if not of thousands people. of minds that are going to watch this we're going to be like you know i reaffirm david's vision i reaffirm david's vision and the universe is going to resonate with that so please help me with this yes let's let's make this happen and if i do it and it happens i'm going to do a stream from there when i open 
and we're going to have a nice little christening or who knows maybe sometime we can get you guys down or something that'd be cool that'd be awesome that'd be awesome yeah absolutely yeah so where to next we've already just uh, explored the mysteries of the universe what are you well is there more I was actually about to ask Matt, uh, when you left. I was actually about to ask Matt about it. What he, what his thoughts on were past past lives. Well, I'm pretty sure that they exist. I, I had one past life recall in my life, and it was so profound. Um, you got to be careful of the past life recaller people, because a lot of them will lead you into this idea and and the bullshitters are the ones who say you were royalty in a past life or right. are you you were cleopatra uh, yeah just that's the kind of stuff you got to be weary, weary of but the ones at least the, the couple that Lori and i visited back in 2004 and uh you know we kind of went through this study of the new age thing back early on back then and you know, up until around 2007 or eight, when I started diversifying my portfolio out of that and into other things. Um, but we met this couple and and they were really cool because she didn't lead you. She just got you in a very relaxed state. Some call it hypnosis, but I was still aware, but I was extremely relaxed, you know, to reclined in a chair. And she did not leave me. She just asked me to go back. What do you see? She kept asking me what I saw, not saying you're in the Civil War field right. and there's which side are you on? It wasn't anything like that. It was just leading me back. And I had these profound recollections of, of being in a war in Ireland or Scotland. And I had escaped from a jail and busted someone else out of jail who was a person I was friends with at the time in the now of all things and that I had been shot by a cannonball and it blew my arm off and I'm literally got a stump for, you know, a right arm, which is why I was left-handed, but I end up going down this cliff and crawling into this cave by the oceans. I remember hearing the ocean very vividly and I walked into this cave and saw myself. This was so lucid. It's I, I there's yep. not even a mushroom trip. I'm completely sober that I've even had that's close to this or, or anything else. But I ended up hugging myself and saying it's okay. And I just broke into tears. I actually, she recorded this on a cassette tape. I might release it one day, but it was so intense, dudes. I mean, there was something that was like released in me th through that experience. So for me, myself, and then she kept taking me back and, and eventually she goes, how far do you want to go back? And I said, to the very beginning. And it was then I saw this vision of this, like a giant of a human. And it was a bearded, red bearded, almost like a, a mythical God-like figure. And, and I was that dude. But way, way back in the past, you know. And it was like that was my original like like a, a very warrior-esque but very intelligent and and just stocky and and you know it was an archetype there's yeah. no doubt in my mind but it was one that represented that that's the self that's there ready to take on this world of conspiracy and and evil wherever i looked i i was in this point of life where i was realizing that everything i had ever been taught was bullshit was a lie and i was questioning everything top to bottom but that gave me a lot of hope for myself that 
you know, there's the super strength inside of me that I can depend on readily. And it sort of changed my life, but that's my experience of past life recalls. But, you know, and having run into many different iterations of it, I think the best one that I can come to use as a model is again, I shoot back to the Russells on this, but you know, the reincarnation principle is actually repetition, which you can readily see in nature. Do leaves come back every year? Do they fall off and die and come back again? You know, the tree doesn't die, but the, the expression of it does. And in the same way, we're, we're very much like nature. So I would tend to think, yeah, that, that it does seem through my own experience. I've watched a lot of those reports where the little kid goes back to Japan, where the bomber went in the water and he breaks into tears. He drew pictures. He's, he knew exactly where the plane went down and is at two years old, he's showing the stuff to his parents. And then by the time he's 11, they actually take him to the location that, and he breaks into tears and, and all that trauma is released. And that's not a lone case. There's probably several hundred, but I think that that's some, something that that's the kind of stuff I wish science would get into, you know, instead they're looking at fucking shit that doesn't matter a damn bit about nothing about whether or not there's, you know, smashing particles together in the hard-on collider, you know, they might as well smash their own heads together. They'd get more out of it that way, you know, but anyways, I just think there's, there's super potential for that. I, I tend to be on the side of that. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but through my own experience, I would say it's very close to that. Or it's something similar, right? Like, or something it's, similar. Yeah. It's like energy can't die. Um, in the ancient, one of the words they would use for it uh was reading this in um oh, i'm trying to what reference here uh they were talking about metempsychosis it's one of the technical words of it and it's the idea of transmigration of souls and it's apparently one of the most ancient belief systems on the planet mm-hmm. and um you you look at it walter russell i it was funny synchronistically i turned to this page in the book the other day and he's got a thing called concerning the soul and then concerning reincarnation and he's talking about that. He's like, the death is just a longer sleep to reanimate the charge. And then um, instead of just the sleep waking cycle you have while you're in this body, you're in a, a longer sleep waking cycle. And when that energy gets charged up enough, it seeks expression. So it's going to seek another vessel. And that could become anything, right? Um, but there, there's a lot of interesting stuff about it. There are some scientists that do take this on there was a there's a guy i'm trying to remember his name we've been trying to get him on unslaved but he had a near-death experience and he was like top level scientist and he was total materialist didn't believe in any of this stuff and then he had um an out-of-body near-death experience that changed his life and he spent the rest of his career trying to find the best way to talk about this scientifically and there's a bunch of guys that have done this um and I love that analogy. That's my best proof as well, Matt, that you would talk about nature, just observing nature, the process. Oh, what's another thing Russell would say? It's about um, appearing and reappearing. Or re- There's an appearance phase and a disappearance phase of all forms of yep. matter. Right. Um, so it never dies. Like There is no death there because there is no creation. It's creating just slight shift and you see it and then there is no final or there is no firm start and final end there's only a cycle of reappearing and appearing reappearing and appearing and what what would would they do to the priesthood 
if people found out about that, that you couldn't really die. You yeah, just sleep you, for a longer period. Well, that's Everybody be out of business. From the Bible. Uh, the tree example, I think one of the biggest points of why Christianity and Judaism has this aspect of the tree. Um, the tree of life. Uh, the tree of life. Yeah. That, that It comes from Druidic roots, but is Energy, what Matt was actually saying there is if you understand the, the biology of how the tree operates, during the fall, it pulls in all the energy, all the chloroform and water, water. It pulls it out of the leaves and back into the roots. It pulls the life out of the leaves back into the tree. The leaves die and dwindle away and fall to the ground, replenishing the ground. And what the tree does is it grows during that point in time. It grows during that winter time. To where in the spring, when it rebirths, it's taller, its branches are longer, it has new branches, mm -hmm. and those leaves now have more information about the next year than they did before. Th that is the, the greatest fucking analogy of, of life and reincarnation that I've ever even conceptualized in my life. Awesome. And even though you, you have... There's another idea I had once, and it was something that kind of came in a dream. And I don't know if somebody in the dream said this or if I, I don't know, it's very hazy, but I felt this in the dream that I was in the past and I often dream of the medieval period. I have a deep intuitive feeling that one of my past lives that's very strong for me comes from the medieval period. I have been attracted to that shit since the day I learned how to talk. I don't know where, and it was before I even saw anything or even knew it existed. I just was already, I just, and every time I've been to certain places and seen certain things, it just resonates. I don't know how to explain it, but this voice or somebody said in my dream, it's always been us. Hmm. And hmm. I, I, it took me a bit to, to sit there and kind of think about it when I woke up and this happened a couple of years ago, and I still think about that sentence. It's always been us. And you think, what do you mean? Well, we think back in history, we're talking about, well, the ancient Egyptians and the ancient uh, Jews and the ancient Romans and all this stuff. And you think they've been through all these different things. What if it's always been us? What if it's always going to be us? What if we've been here before? And we're As in be here? iterations of the same souls. The over same unique over. packet, the yeah. same unique packet of all the stuff that makes that photonic, organic life essence yeah. we call the soul okay that unique expression of the bigger ocean uh that is the unique thing there will never as we said before josh remember the last time you gave me goosebumps breaking this shit down yeah, the there will never be anyone like you there will never be you are a, a singular masterful unique creation expression of all that is but you are also a part of all that is right so but what this would be is that your characteristics as that undifferentiated light are you but then that you keeps reanimating itself because it needs to keep experiencing there's another thing alan watts would say the fear of being locked up in a dark room forever when you die is irrational because that's not an experience hmm. it's like every day people die we know this and every day people are born and the earth peoples and constantly peoples in the way that a tree will always apple will always keep growing apple and so if we are just the reason we have this memory is that some people boil it down to genetics but what about epigenetics what if we experienced maybe even in different physical forms 
um, or we we came in a, a certain genetic signature that maybe even closely resembled us. This is where the idea of preserving the bloodlines come in. Hey, right. the elites are into this shit. It's good enough for them, right? They believe in this. Um, so the idea would be that if you uh, if you have a, a genetic signature that your soul photonic light energy would be attracted to that particular signature as it repeats the pattern throughout time, which is an illusion, right? And that that's what's happening is that that that's the best way I could maybe explain the answer to that, which I have zero proof of. I'm just saying that's what I that's this message is. What if it's always been us? It's always been us in different times going through different iterations of this experience. And the ultimate thing is experience itself, mm -hmm. because this unfolding consciousness we call God, universe, matter, whatever you want. It's a dance of creation and you can't have creation unless you gather the information you need through the experience in order to create. You can't just create. You have to have the experiences that lead you to creation. Like Matt, when you write a song, you're not just sitting down and going, boho be he, boho be he. Okay, there's all the light. Okay, and let's make, oh, let's have a little strum in there. Let's, no, <laughs> you're, you're creating something, right? Like you're, you're, you're harmonizing your, your music to be an expression that's yours, right? And you're trying to encapsulate that in a little time capsule called a song. Well, your life is that. Your soul is doing that. And the guitar could be exchanged, but the frequency of resonance that happens when you strum the guitar is eternal. It's just a matter of your chain. Oh, I got a Gibson guitar or I have this kind of guitar. Mm -hmm. But in the end, it's you playing it. And then there's the old thing. Am I playing the guitar or is the guitar playing me? Right? Like, <laughs> and, and you, it, you really bring this to the macro level and it makes you think about the dance of life in a totally different way. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, there's an industry driven around the fear of death and just like escapism, but you know, the stay young industry or the, um, you know, it's the industry of escaping death through plastic surgery, through there's just a million different kinds of, 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 let's not deal with the subject of death, but rather try to prolong it. It's, it's a fear. What helped me was a simple saying that came from somewhere. I can't remember, but it said, uh, the question was, what is the leading cause of death? Mm. And the answer Life. is birth. Birth. Yeah. <laughs> and once, once you, once you get that through your head, it's not so bad anymore. You know, we're all going to meet the end. The question is, like Gandalf would say, what do we do with the time we've been given? Mm. What do we do while we're, while we're here on this flat earth or this sphere? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't sound as if <laughs> or whatever. Very good. In this eyeball, in this you know, world. If, if the world's in our eyes, in the visual cortex back here, which they say mm. it is, you know, and it's, it's a natural simulation or, you know, otherwise, but really it comes down to what we want to do with it, you know, and, you know, right now they're in the Ukraine about to uh, push things to a level, you know, that's, that's some people's version of what they want to do with it. But there's a lot of other people that are going to do something different. And that's what makes us all unique. There's no two vibrations alike on this planet. Um, some cool things science has done is show that identical twins even have variations that are, that, that are so minute, but yet enough to make them different. 
So no two vibrations can exist in the same place at the same time. One will destroy the other as the wine glass and the voice of the opera singer shows, you know. And that's the glory of creation. No two blades of grass, uh, no two snowflakes, despite there being trillions times trillions times trillions infant ad infinitum on and on there's no two that are alike so that's that says to me that every human being also as above so below is a very unique experience yeah. and you know finding that soul in you and expressing that uniqueness on this world stage all the world's a stage and we're all actors but what are your lines going to be and are you going to write your own or are you going to read somebody else's you know, we all have that great human potential to break away from the program, the matrix of ones and zeros, and use our own natural, God-given natural intelligence to create the lives we want that can inspire ourselves. And to the degree we inspire ourselves with our own creative efforts is to the degree that we inspire and uplift our fellow man. And that's what's going to get us out of the shithole, in my mind. And the the, the work we're doing, I, I went, I got to say this real fast. Yeah. I went and searched because of Josh, you know, doing 13 podcasts a day, six days a week. <laughs> I'm like, how can a human being do that many podcasts? But he's doing it and does it well. And I started researching all these different shows. There are hundreds of really cool shows on Rumble. I'm going, man, this is this is really awesome to watch. YouTube, all they have is guys reading books, making fun of stupid shit. I'm like, what in the hell? You know. Rumble is, these are the birthing times. We're actually seeing the birth of a brand new media. And it's. I know of a good one, cool. Matt. I know of a good really one. Really cool there. to see. I know of a good show on there. Um, it's your show. People have to go check out because you're on Rumble <laughs> now because yeah. you got kicked off YouTube, you boob. And uh, there's this really good one. I think it's called like Earth Chronicles or something. No, I don't Earth know. Chronicles, something yeah. like that. I heard, I've heard about it. It's pretty decent. Um, <laughs> But yeah, and this, I'm glad we have these vehicles to do this, uh, and we need more content that isn't just going through the news of the day. Oh my God, there's a Chinese spy balloon floating, and look, great. But like, I heard they shot end, it down. What's well, the meaning of yeah, life? Yeah, there's, like, there's a lot of things going on with that. Uh, apparently, there's an explosion I over Montana, right. but they did not. Apparently, they did not shoot it down. So I don't know. I Why hope they shoot it down? Okay. Just bow and arrow. Yeah. Hey, Josh, I, I hope Hunter's okay. I know, right? Hey, <laughs> I'm a balloon heading to China. <laughs> did, did you show that to Dave? Oh, my God. You got a screenshot. You, you saw my oh, Twitter post. Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the Yeah. How is Hunter doing? Is, didn't he just admit that the laptop was his? Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. contrary to what his lawyer said, he came and out. 51 in intelligence agencies. Yeah. No, Hunter, don't. It's no, dude, it's my laptop. That's mine. responsibility for it. Like, <laughs> what's the worst that could happen? Uh, dude, treason? But anyways. Oh, Lord. But, Giving um, away the secrets? What about Biden with his, how many Corvettes is he storing classified documents in now? <laughs> so for those out there, this is Matt Presti's Rumble page. Uh, you'll see Tech, T-E-C. You can go That's out it. there and you can look at his the exploration podcast. of consciousness. Yep, the exploration yep. of consciousness. He's also got a YouTube page. This is his Rumble. Go out there and follow him on Rumble because we got quite a few followers here on Rumble that are going to see this show. So just type in Matt Presty right there. You can go ahead and follow and him. My consciousness is currently in the, the rabbit hole. Dude, you know what? That's a point. That's a great point of discussion. So I just, I just watched 
the uh, the, do- the dispelling dimensional madness. Ah, cool. Okay. Oh yeah, okay. talk to him about this. This so, is cool. I was like listening. I'm like, where the fuck's he going with this? Like, because <laughs> he's he's trying to tell me that like dimensionality doesn't exist, and then I'm like, whoa, oh, oh. And I'm like, good fucking point, man. Like, so explain this to people because it, Lewis Carroll's Alice in Wonderland. I I did not know that. I was blown away right. by that. So please, please go ahead. Well, I. I just, I've got personal experience with a, a, a lady uh, who insisted to me that she was living in the fifth dimension and that her guru helped her to get there so she could deal with the trauma of her life. And I like the lady. She's a nice lady. We're friends, but I just couldn't accept this. And for years, she's, I've been hearing it being said. I've heard it from other people down and down through the, the years. And you know, I'm just like, you know, but if these other places existed, how come everybody that talks about it does so from this one reality? Right. They can never tell me about the fifth dimension from the fifth dimension. They're right here in front of me. Where where the fuck am I? If you're in the fifth and I'm here in reality, then how can you be in this reality and another one at the same time? Yeah. It just doesn't make any sense. So I started digging into this. And I found Edwin Abbott Abbott, Flatland. I found Charles Howard Hinton's assertions on this fourth dimension, which was popularized. You know, he he ended up, uh, he was one of the main official popular, popularizers, him and Edwin Abbott, in Victorian England in the 1880s, when spiritualism was at the height of its craze in London. You know, theosophy was running rampant. Mm-hmm. frauds of all kinds, medium frauds, spiritualist frauds were running around stealing people's pounds and, you know, on false fake uh, seances and things of that nature. So it was a popular, it was the new age 1.0, basically, was the spiritualist movement of Victorian England. And interestingly enough, Edwin Abbott Abbott's flatland is the impetus for string theory, Right, which was was what led to Theosophy to start looking into this original guy who I don't have his name currently, but his original thesis was that there were these the, these vibrational strings that created matter, which is what the string theorists borrowed from. And then you had guys like uh, um, Kaluza Klein who came up with this fifth dimension, which contains the non-existent four fundamental forces which actually have no existence. These, again, are all models, mm-hmm. right? They're just models. Until a new model comes along, you use what you've got, even if they're wrong. And they happen to be wrong, and they're, they're provable that they're wrong. Some of the laws of physics I've seen violated multiple times. Right. So are they really laws, or mm-hmm. are they just guesses? And that you have to say to yourself, well, Lorenz's law has been broken. I've watched it been broke 13 times in a row. Then it's not a law. So let's... Let's come up with a new model that actually explains what we're seeing. And that was an impetus in me to to dispel this because I felt like it was taking people out of the fight. You know, we need people grounded in reality. You can best deal with your trauma if you're grounded in reality and face it head on. How do you beat your fear and keep it from killing your mind? You fight it. You take it on head on and study it, get to the bottom of it, find the cause of it so that you can undo its repetitive effects. You know, any effect 
in our lives can be undone by knowing its cause and canceling out its cause. Mm -hmm. It's called balancing the thought is another term for it. If there's a thought that haunts you as a child and it comes with you into older, older age and, and, and in later life, if you get to the bottom of that thought and you cancel it out at every step, you know, you can even undo karma right, right away. And, you know, say you tell somebody to fuck off at a red light because they cut you off, cancel it. Just say cancel afterwards. You're canceling <laughs> out that thought. I don't I want like to rent say, that movie you know, today, buddy. <laughs> you know, Lori and I will be riding in the car and I hear something about Bill Gates. I'll go that cocksucker and then I'll go cancel and she'll start laughing. But it feels good to say it, you know, you just got to cancel it knowingly and I like that. stop the repetition. But yeah, Josh, to answer your question, I was really just motivated to put an end to this, what I call dimensional madness, because it goes on and on. And then you've got the parallel worlds and the, and the, and the multiverses and, the, and the, the multiple universes, which come from Hugh Everett, who was a extreme solipsist, his own son, Eric was was in his teens he found his dad dead at 51 from from alcohol overdose or something and when he tried to revive him he said that's the first time and i can remember ever touching my father wow and he's the guy responsible for people's idea of parallel worlds and universes which was all concocted from a math paper he wrote in college how does one come to believe in these things from a math equation that doesn't make any sense to me what about experience? Is Doesn't that have to have a little bit of say that's in order for there to be something real, it must be experienced real for real? And then it led to things like quantum suicide and, right. and quantum immolation and, 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 you know, quantum suicide. Everett's daughter, the Parallel Worlds guy, killed herself at 49 years old. And in her suicide note, she said, perhaps I'll meet daddy in a parallel universe. You know, it's a sad thing when, when your own parent won't even hug you, you know, and, and to me, it's just like, is that the reason why they come up with this stuff just to escape this world? You know, he'd have three martinis at lunch, sleep it off in the office. He was a functional alcoholic. But at the same time, these are the progenitors of these multidimensional ideas. Doesn't it bother you? Anybody out there who believes in this stuff? That, well, but there's also a lot to you know, sell during that time, during the 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 twenty, the late nineteenth century. You had Blavatsky, it's an industry. you had seances, right? Yeah. Um, there was one interesting point during it. You talked about the Euclidean geometry versus Riemann geometry, and how right. math was extrapolated into imaginary numbers, and you repeat this mm -hmm. thing throughout the whole thing: imaginary, imaginary, right? And where imagine we went wrong in the sense where we started extrapolating basically imaginary mathematics into actual reality theory. And I agree with you wholeheartedly on this because I use the analogy of describing modern day physics as looking at an invisible skyscraper, watching the air rush by it, watching the clouds go all around it, watching the rain fall off of its side and only seeing a screw and trying to explain all the dynamics of everything I just described by the size of the screw. And that's modern physics, is they don't understand or, or can't comprehend what reality actually is. They call it dark matter or dark energy because they don't know what it is. They can only express it imaginarily through mathematics. 
But if they add this other aspect of consciousness into the equation, things start to make sense. And this is what spirituality has taught for a long time, or at least various aspects of hidden occult knowledge. And, right. you know, I, I'd like for you to explain this idea of, of the, 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 the Euclidean versus the Ryman and, and how this kind of transformed into this whole imaginary world that we have today. Well, basically what Charles Dotson, pen name Lewis Carroll, mm -hmm. he liked his spaces flat. They, they like to calculate on flat planes, which means zero curvature. Um, when they got into the spherical math and the, and the um, hyperspatial, they started adding curves because that all came from trying to prove Euclid's fifth postulate was that if you have two parallel lines and you put a horizontal line across them and line them up at 90 degrees, that those two parallel lines would extend forever and never cross. They could go on forever in a space. Well, what Reinman proved and, and Bolliai and, and the others, um, Gauss, was that if you put two parallel lines on a sphere and start at the pole of the sphere, that those two lines will curve around and eventually cross each other mm -hmm. around the globe. So that's what disproved the fifth postulate. So they were able to calculate measurements in this so-called hyperspace, which was theoretical and still is, you know, even though, again, things like video games use spherical trigonometry, some, some great things have come from it, you know, calculations of orbits, things of that nature, um, unless you think satellites don't exist. But here's a formula I just wrote um, that proves that Matt, Dave, and Josh are going to have a drink before the hour is over. <laughs> I mean, if you want to argue with me, it's absolute proof. Yep. I don't care if you don't believe I it. I love it. But this is evidence that we're going to have a drink before the end of the hour. So that formula proves it all. Well, that's just the kind of things itself. they claim. That's exactly the kinds of things they claim. Well, there's 26 dimensions and there's an M dimension and a super string dimension. But none of this has any conclusive proof, evidence, or anything else. It's all just theoretical, which is fine. But people in the new age believe it. They actually, they're, if you type in uh, getting to the fifth dimension or transcending the third dimension into the fifth or fifth dimensional consciousness, that's my favorite, and just scroll down, you will see one Boogaloo presenter. I call them the new age hustlers. Yep. One after another. And they charge you for your service, for their services, and they're going to help you get from the third dimension to the fifth one. You know, you can be on Interstellar with with good old Christopher Nolan. <laughs> We're you going know. Plaid. Well, they got <laughs> nothing. They got nothing on Applewhite, where he was trying to get everybody to the ninth dimension. He was like, "No, no, screw all that fifth dimension there bullshit. It is. We're going to wait for Hale Bob's comet to come in, <laughs> and at that exact moment, we've done the math. We've done the math." There it is. The we're gonna dimension. Wasn't there a this Family Guy episode about this? poison, and we're gonna be <laughs> piggybacking off Hale Bob's comment, and we're gonna get to the ninth dimension above human guys. Just trust me. Where they trust all drink me. the Kool Aid. Like he doesn't drink me. it. He watches everybody die. And he walks out, tiptoes slowly outside. <laughs> like I'm out of here. <laughs> but like, okay, so J Matt, I gotta say, sure, that's one of the arguments that a lot of flat earthers bring up. 
when they sit in front of the scientist guys that they debate, they say something about that, about that problem with the Euclidean geometry, which whichever one it is. And um, they bring that exact argument up. What would you say to them? We all work off a two-dimensional surface. Never mind the equation. If I write a book that shares my thoughts about my 3D body, it's called a biography, you're still reading off a 2D plane. It doesn't make a two-dimensional world proof of anything. We all read thoughts and symbols off of a two-dimensional plane called a computer screen. A cell phone screen is a two-dimensional plane. Uh, LED monitor, your TV is a two-dimensional plane. It can appear three-dimensional, especially if you wear glasses and watch that terrible movie by James Cameron. Um, but, you know, they say that, well, the, the sextant is done on a two-dimensional plane or our calculations are done on it. Well, yeah, everything is, man. The map, that was something they brought up. The map is a flat map. That's well, yeah. why it's flat. Why Why would you make a round? You know how stupid it would be to carry a round map around? <laughs> you couldn't put it in your pocket. What, are you going to flatten it out like a beach ball and just blow it up when you want to see where you're going? I mean, everything, of scale. everything operates from a two-dimensional plane in terms of how we relate to our thinking, our processes, our equations, our words we write in books. I read Walter Russell's Divine Iliad, and man, I was fucking shot through time and space like nobody's business. All came from a two-dimensional, you know, piece of paper. But nonetheless, it, it invokes three-dimensional reality because, in a sense, everything comes from one. The one divides into two. That's why the number one comes first, right? The heartbeat is two. Bum, 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 bum. That's where the rhythm of the very essence of the base of all music comes from the waltz is three one two three one two three that's where dance started from the waltz the division of one into three and then three into four gives you Jimi hendrix led zeppelin rock and roll you know and then into five into six into 16 which is jazz which which russell abhorred he said it goes way too far away from one it's too too busy you know and it's just noise to 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 the ear of a of a master like that. But you know, I actually used to listen to Thelonious Monk back in the day. Only when I was on, you know, a, a good spliff, one of my buddies like would some play. jazz during like, you know, dinner and stuff. I don't jazz, know. I like slow jazz. jazz. I like slow blues, jazz. Slow jazz. Yeah. Sure. Being a sound man for fifteen years and running sound for Fortune five hundred companies, that's what they wanted to play was that that slow jazz, especially during dinners and things like that. But all this stuff, man, everything can be calculated from a two-dimensional plane. It's, you know, maps aren't special, guys. I do, I write m my directions for my recipes on a fucking piece of paper. It doesn't mean that the earth is a recipe or a bowl of fucking chili, you know? It's just a thing we use to reference reality. You know, everything we reference is two-dimensional for our own notes, for our, our views, the TV screens, again... Those are two-dimensional objects. Well, the screen itself, so, the object of the TV actually has thickness, so that makes it three-dimensional, but you get the drift. Right, so so could the dimensionality that's being talked about by the New Agers actually be simply just frequency in the sense that we have a certain vibrational pattern within our consciousness, within our bodies, 
and that we can all exist here on the same realm and plane of existence, except that each one of us, like different notes, are at different octaves or different notes and vibrations. Is that really what they're trying to say? And they're just confusing the fuck out of it because of all this new age delusion? I would recommend to all flat earthers that they read A New Concept of the Universe by Walter Russell. I mean, that's going to that's gonna right there change your entire view on science, on the science you argue against. You know, it's it's not that you're... You don't want to get so dogmatic that you lose sight of building a model to replace an existing model. You know, to me, arguing against something for the sake of argument... And who is it? Dill Spit Wit. What's his name? That guy, Dave. He talks oh. about, you know, I, I'm I'm arguing by a um disprovement or whatever. Argue argument against something it's against makes, something, yeah, but not you don't have something that you're for. You're just against. Right. And it the makes negative that, position. That makes it a, a valid um argument, which to me is a cop out. Because it's like saying, you know, there's no light. There's no light there. Look, there's there's a shadow. There's no light in that shadow. Persistent. Okay, well, yeah, I can agree with it. But what's the fucking shadow? But you can't tell. You're just arguing that there's no light in it. But you can't tell me what the shadow is, which, according to Goethe, is actually light. Did you read any Goethe? Maybe you should before you start harping on this. Because you're arguing for something without giving a valid replacement against this thing that you're displacing and you're leaving a void there are no vacuums in nature guys you know you better fucking give us something if you're going to disprove it have a model you know but they don't want to they don't it's i call it the non-argument fallacy they don't want to put a model forth because they claim they they say we don't make claims we're not going to make any claims Okay, we'll try going to small claims court and not making a fucking claim and see how far the judge puts up with your ass. Well, you know, there's actually a reason. speaking of small claims, I was going to say one of the better tacks with any of these because I mean, I look at some of this stuff as very similar, right? Right. So, what if we argue it from a point of a court of law, right? Forget about because there, there's a lot of that stuff about science. We're going to use the what's the scientific method? Remember, Nathan, you don't know science. Because you didn't say observation of a phenomena. You just said observation. But like you're like, no, no, fuck that. The the accusation is that someone's lying, right? So if someone's lying, you can't just say you're a liar and walk away and then build an entire model off of that. You have to (laughs) prove that they're a liar or otherwise it's called slander and libel, right? So, So I brought up an example to one of these guys. And I just brought up the Indian Space Station, the Indian Space Agency in India. And um, there's very little help and assistance that they get from other bigger organizations. And they ended up capturing a photo of the Earth on one of their missions. And they came back and it was like the first big achievement. And, you know, they would just go, oh, it's all fake and CGI. And I'm like, well that's a default position that you have because obviously that one single image was going to make you rethink everything if it's actually true. So now you're making the claim. They, they put an image out there and they're like, Hey, we took this image and you're saying, no, it's not you. It's bullshit. You're lying to us because otherwise what could it be? So now you have to prove if this is a court of law, they are innocent until proven guilty, right? 
you have to prove that they're guilty before accusing them of being guilty of lying. And so show that it is CGI, show that it is, give me the, show me who funded it, show me, like we need, we need more. So if that's the investigation you want to do, go do the investigation and prove it. But to just say it simply because you think, okay, there's probably some issues with some of the NASA photos, right? It's a false equivalency because you don't have the same kind of evidence. There's no evidence right now to show that that photograph is somehow fake or CGI other than you just saying it. So now the burden of proof is on you to prove it. Otherwise, you're actually accusing someone of a criminal act without evidence. And in a court, they would they would actually start charging you for that shit. So that's not actually because it's not just a debate between scientific models because they're not there is no model. There, it's a debate about criminal. There's somebody's lying. So there are conspiracies. This is what I say to people. There's a lot of conspiracies that all back because I believe there's actual evidence that it was a lie, right? Like Hunter Biden laptop was a conspiracy that wasn't didn't exist, and now he's admitting it. And there's other points of evidence to show that it is actually his. So we have a very good reason for assuming that that's actually Hunter Biden's laptop, and he's involved in some criminal activity. Now they got to go to the next level and get a court to look at it and have a defense and do all that. But isn't that the same process when we're as conspiracy theorists throwing accusations? If I'm accusing big pharma, if I'm accusing cult of the medics, if I'm accusing Fauci or any of these people of lying over here, I better have some evidence to back it up to operate off that assumption. And just saying, oh, it's because I have these other observations that say this. It's not there yet because you have to still prove because if that photograph is real, then you just don't understand the observations you've made because that photograph is real, right? So that's where we're at. And I'd say it's the same in kind of the new age thing where there's also no photographs of the fifth or sixth dimension. There's no way of measuring there's, there's no physical, tangible evidence of it. No direct experimental and no observational evidence in over 350 years since it was first introduced into the halls of academia by Henry Moore who coined the term Gnosticism and the term fourth dimension. Really? He coined the term Gnosticism? Yep. From the Greek Gnosticos, he studied the Gnostic writings. He was a Catholic, uh, what's the word? Um, not priest, but he was, he was a uh, theologian, Catholic theologian. And these interestingly enough all these guys are from some of the same elite schools like leipzig mm. university um there's the school of london and others but a lot of these guys all run in these same circles uh Riemann and others you know and they had a real interest in disproving uh euclid's fifth postulate which was the impetus you know 200 years prior to the 14th, 15th century, there were a couple Arab scholars that tried to disprove Euclid's theory but couldn't. And so until they they uh, came up with, you know, applying the parallel lines to a sphere, was it able to be eventually proven that, you know, with this shape, hyper uh, hypermath and, and spherical trig could actually, you know, begin to do work in an imaginary environment basically but it still all takes place all the spherical computations all take place on a 2d surface or chalkboard right right you know? it's not like we had to create a 3d surface to do the, the measurements on but that's where this whole conception of a tesseract comes from well if we could create because a, a cube 
if you, if you shine a light through it onto a two dimensional plane shows a square. So if you, I think that's how it works. I, I might be backwards on this, but the Tesseract, if you or no, I'm sorry. If you take a square and you show, you, you show that image on a 2d surface, it, it appears to be a cube based on the tilt of it and it's a see-through right these are clear models and then you take a, a cube and put a light through it on a 2d surface it appears to be a tesseract so this is part of the reason they thought well there must be a a shape in a, in a different dimension that you know this tesseract can be and that's where henry Henri poincaré comes in the french mathematician scientist who wrote science and hypothesis he declared that just out of the blue because he was very popular in in France, he declared that the axioms of Euclidean geometry were not were not a priori, and that if destroyed, this is his quote: "If you destroy this mental perception, then you can enter into the fourth dimension and see in a fourth dimensional world." And so that's when the cubists went, "Oh my God!" The Picassos and the and his circle, they all started doing this cubic artwork, cubist movement. And then you come, then out of that comes abstract art and Duchamp's urinal and some of the most atrocious. That's when architecture went to hell. Everything began to go downhill. And the great minds like the Russells and, and others who were prominent, you know, uh, absolutely incredible artists began to cry foul. They're like, what are you people doing? You're ruining you know, this profession, you know, and uh, now that's not to say that modern architecture, I've seen some really incredible modern architecture, but the but strip a significant mall, change. Yeah. The strip mall. I mean, is that oh, the best I mean, we can do? Walmart. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the same copy of the same thing everywhere all over the world in every neighborhood. It's like that's, that's what they warned us about. The Twilight Club, the poets ethics, you know, of that club, that Twilight Club of great minds, the, the Twains and the, and the Spencers and the and the the Herbert uh, the uh, Mark the Markhams Edwin Markhams who said in vain we build the city if we do not first build the man you know and they they saw right. that this this collapse of civilization was coming if we if we let beauty just and aesthetics just go out the window then any and anything's possible cubist art abstract art shit art which I call shart you know some mess <laughs> it sharted. Yeah, it's shard. They sharded it. And That's and you've still one. got some pockets here and there of the, the great nature, natural artists that paint. You know, Walter felt, too, that when you remove nature from your representational body in a, in a, in a painting, you're doing a great disservice by abandoning nature. And so you end up with all this stuff that isn't really art at all in the architecture. And, and this stuff has an effect. You know, it does have an effect on the way energy flows. On the way, oh, that, I can feel it. I can feel it, Matt. You yeah. probably can too, uh, especially now that I'm living because uh, I was living in Toronto before, which is a big mega city. Sure. And now I live out in the sticks in like a remote fishing village, right? And there's Good a totally you. different vibe to now going into the city and just feeling how absolutely horrible it is. And then other times I'd go to places that have some of the older architecture, going through certain cathedrals where the harmonics are right. And you just told it's a totally different experience. And as you're talking, it's making me think too of something that's really huge, which is all of this sort of sludge culture coming in with 
the world of art, music, um, every field is being attacked by this woke cultural Marxist insanity uh, where essentially all the guys have been let out of the asylum and they're now the creators of our culture and our world. And all the geniuses that we've been talking about are all locked away and forgotten about. And look what's happening. Uh, look at the stuff your your children, their mind is being exposed to. Look at what they're teaching in school. Look how they're trying to disconnect you from reality in every possible conceivable way. And Indeed. they're trying to bring you into an artificial 2D metaverse, create your avatar and you can be whatever you want. We're going to have life extension technology. We're going to upload your consciousness into a computer. And, and you're sitting there looking at this world. And I talk to just so many old souls and they're like, I don't recognize this world anymore. Yeah. My mom's Can you imagine what the Russells felt back when that was happening in their time and let alone <laughs> now? Right. They're rolling in their graves. I rewatched that interview you and I did together back when I was, uh, I think I showed a, a walkthrough of the Russell Museum for Unslaved Listeners. Uh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Dude, that was the funniest interview. There's a point where you almost spit your tea across the. <laughs> something I said, <laughs> but it was. It was great. Some classics on there, man. Rewatching those things are so cool sometimes. But yeah, I mean, we're we're in a plight, you know. And part of the thing, like you said, we all have our work to do, and and we should share what we what inspires us because that inspiration can kickstart and change a human being's life. I've gotten so many emails over the course of the last ten years or twelve years that I've been doing this. People who have written me and said, you know, your work has has literally changed my life. And it makes me uncomfortable to read that. So my reply will always be something like, you know, I didn't change your life. All I did was inspire you. You are the one that changed your life. So don't ever give credit right. to, to some place or someone where credit isn't due. You know, and, and that's what that's where the new age, you know, your Deepak Chopra is that guy walks the stage like. You know, and then your 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 Ken Wheelers. I, I warn people about him too because, you know, he's the kind of person, he's the master, whose students can never excel beyond him, and he knows it. Mm. Mm. And those oh, are yeah. those are types you need to be very careful of, because the all knowing, the big brains, you know, the kind of guy who says, "Oh, Walter Russell was only seventy percent correct." here's where he's wrong. And he starts throwing out all this bullshit, but it's like, dude, if you even understood the man, just to say something like that, you know, and he said it about Tesla. He said it about others, you know, that, that hubris. I just, that's little man syndrome, Matt. It that's is little man. It is. Syndrome. And I don't think I've ever seen him debate another human being on the planet. It's one big solipsis show where he only has a dialogue with himself and he's the soul moon orbiting his own system, you know, but for what it's worth, <laughs> You know, that's kind of guy, one kick to the side of the head and down he goes. But if it was to be a boxing match, Dave, with mushroom tea, but on the other <laughs> hand. <laughs> I hope I did well. I, I don't know if I did well in those matches. I'm guessing I, you I, did, but, you know, <laughs> as long as nobody just got remember, hurt. folks, you're, you're, yeah. the, you're the final arbiter when it comes to yourself. And you're the one that's going to do the work. Other people can inspire you, but don't ever let them take credit for the work that you do. That's yours and yours alone. And it, it, it's you and God, you and the creative force, you know, and that's what I like about platforms like you guys, um, Josh, Michael, and you, it's, you really just want to get people to think, you know, and that's thinking is what, that's the beautiful thing that makes you take things in, 
and you move them around and you turn them around and you look at them, you know, and, and like the flat earthers, I got to wonder if they look at Hunter's laptop and go, it's spherical. Therefore, all other laptops are also spherical, which means they're all wrong. You know, I don't know, Dave, I'm just, maybe I'm going out on a limb here. I'm in oh, there. I don't know. There's enough insanity <laughs> in the world to go around. And I think right. in the end, isn't this all about escape? And why, what would motivate us to escape? Well, a few things. Things look like shit right now. There's a lot of crap going on in the world. We're seeing a regression on so many different fronts. But here's the thing. Regardless of anybody's opinion on any particular subject, here we are. We're in this mess. The world is moving towards totalitarianism and away from humanity, freedom, goodness, nature, God, truth, justice, right? And yet, in the midst of it, even though there's a gazillion negative things we could point at, here we stand. Here we are having this conversation. Here, the, here are the people listening to it, wanting to learn more, think differently, deciding what they like, what they don't, what they agree with, what they don't. And there are good people doing good work. There are good artists. There are good musicians. There are good thinkers. There are good people everywhere. There are people exposing great truths. There are people uh, working towards the goal of trying to set things right again. And that's why I look at it and I say, is there something about the human mind that gets hyper-focused on the negative things to the point where we then keep continually creating the negative condition that we're in? Mm. And in that way, are we not actually helping to build the Great Reset? Are we not helping to bring in transhuman? But And, and I'm not saying because everybody listening would go, but I'm against those things. But I'm saying there's another level of this where because we are now going, oh, let's escape from that. I'm not saying we are, but just a lot of people do. And I understand why. We escape that trauma of facing the world as it is, which means we have to face ourselves as we are. And we escape into another niche. So maybe they didn't catch us with metaverse. Maybe they didn't get us with the jabby jab. Maybe they didn't get us with all these other prisons. But they've got. there's plenty of other prisons, even in our own camp in our own right. thinking well, that we can enslave ourselves in, in our attempt to escape the condition that we're trying to fight. You know what I'm saying? Am I making any one, sense? One, one point to that, if I may, and I will go, go to Josh. I see he's back from the fourth dimension. Um, <laughs> yeah. You got to tell us how that was, Josh. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's called the toilet. No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. To the degree that a person is unable to deal with the reality of their own life and situation is to the degree they will seek to escape from it. Mm. And there's where your industry comes in. They offer you everything from quantum astronomy to quantum zoology and everything in between fourth dimension, fifth dimension, quantum suicide, quantum parallel shifting worlds, planets, and multiverses that put you on sheets of paper next to other ants that are living right next to you, but you can't see them because they're in a parallel reality. It also puts problems out of your reach and your, it, mm. it amplifies your inability to solve them because the degree is so great that you leave reality in order to cope with it, which is not facing it. So you're right, man. You you nailed it, buddy. But go ahead, Josh. Well, yeah, no, I mean, the predominant factor that I see is fear is that everybody is in this perpetual state of fear, whether it is the fear of losing their job, the fear of no income, the fear of their family, you know, being displaced or the, the fear of their money being devalualized, the, fa the fear of nuclear war, the fear of, you know, political corruption, whatever it might be. 
is that we are dominated right now by this world of fear and our thoughts become reality. And this is important to understand that our thoughts become reality. The the greatest secret, right, is that you become what you think about. And if you surround yourself with these thoughts that the whole world is encompassed in fear and that the whole reality is that based upon fear or what I call the undefined, then that is what is going to be manifested. If that is on a consensus level, if that is on a conscious consensus level where everybody or the majority of the people are continuously in the state, then you're right, David. It's going to bring about the Great Reset. But if people envision differently, if people come to a precipice moment to where they yeah. see reality as they are the creator and they understand that their thoughts truly do become reality, then they can work together to mold the future, the vision that they see for reality. And, and that's uh, the, when I weigh the Great Reset versus the Great Awakening. That's really what I see. Is I see that we're coming into this new idea. This tr- I talk about this in my primary podcast of the different domains of information or the different domains of reality that we exist in. Is that you have the social, the cultural, the political, the academic, the economic, the financial, the, these different things, but they're all dominated by one primary domain, which is information. And that information is being utilized right now in a psychological warfare campaign to manipulate us to a certain degree. And that we need to hypercritically analyze the information that's coming into our senses, coming into our minds every day. And that if we don't, we're going to react to that information. It goes back to the the Mm -hmm. hermetic law of cause and effect. That I look at these as two realms. You have a realm of causation and a realm of effect. And if you're continuously reacting to your environment, then you are reacting to the influences of someone else, which is benefiting them because that that reaction is a, a causation that they wish to seek in the world that benefits them. And that we must recognize this and then transmute that idea that energy that that idea that thought that whatever it is in reality towards the benefit of ourselves and the benefit of others and so this is when i when i perceive the future this is what i see is that we have to take a complete different understanding of what information really is we like to think that the world of information is what they proclaim it to be that it's ones and zeros that it's uh, the the daily news and it's politics and it's economics but at the heart of it information is consciousness it's expressions of consciousness and that if we allow those expressions of consciousness to be simply based upon fear or based upon destruction or based upon anything that brings down our 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 state of being then we succumb to that and so this whole battle that we're in, this spiritual battle we're in, is about overcoming this realm of existence that we're in and analyzing that information, realizing that it is consciousness, consciousness that it is thought, and transmuting that into something that we wish to see within the universe, which we wish to see in reality. I love that. That's so key. And actually, as you were talking, I thought of something one of my old kickboxing coaches used to tell me when he would, before I'd go in, he would just look at me and say, make him react the way you want. Yeah. And, I, and to d- break that down, it's, it's create scenarios where you know they're going to react a certain way 
and then take advantage of the reaction because that's where you can beat high level players because you can't beat them straight up because they know everything's coming. They've trained just as much as you have, but to get the edge, you create scenarios where they have to react to what you're doing. They have no choice. And you know, there's only two or three ways to react and you have an answer for those reactions. It's chess as well. And then you just set it up. And part of me wonders if we aren't witnessing a sort of chess game in a grander vision than just maybe some white hats helping us out in the background or whatever, but on like a little cosmological scale of revealing the truth and revealing, like letting the light shine through is that everybody's being put into these positions where we're going to react to all the traumas we're experiencing. And it's during those moments, just like the moment in that fight where it can make or break your win or loss, that it's how you react. Because if I know my opponent might be employing that same strategy on me, because trust me, the dark side of the force is 100% using this strategy of making you react and then manipulating your reactions towards their benefit. Okay. But we can reverse engineer that too. Because now the advice my coach gave me in the fight, I could also be the one now realizing my opponent's trying to do that to me, which means I have to manage my reactions to become unpredictable so that they think I'm reacting a certain way and setting a trap for that reaction, but I'm hitting them on another level. And that's what we need to do is they're trying to pigeonhole us all, no matter which way we pick it, to divorce ourselves from nature, reality, God, truth, and freedom. They want us to get, they want to move us from there, but they know directly if they were to come out, if <laughs> Bill Gates or fucking any top, you know, the, the top guys in the world were to come out and say, guys, we want to eliminate the human species and replace you with robot cyborgs and enslave you so that you can do our bidding and create the world we want. Um, that wouldn't go over very well. But if you can manipulate people by slowly creating scenarios where people are reacting emotionally here and there and are led constantly, and this is what religion and scientism and the new all these different modalities are doing is pulling people away from their center so they're no longer engaged in reality. And then you'll wonder why reality looks like shit right now. Yeah. It's because nobody's there's no gardeners tending the garden anymore because we're all off in the ninth dimension. Right. (laughs) We're all fighting ghosts and goblins that whether they exist or not, it doesn't even matter because it's the wrong reaction in the fight. They're manipulating you. Right. So you take a few pages out of Sun Tzu's Art of War and you reverse engineer it and you say, hey, this all powerful Illuminati, whatever you want to call it, these people that are trying they're control freaks, these totalitarians, these cult leaders, these criminals, they're not the only players on this game. They're not the only one in the ring, you know, think of like in Rocky, the coach that he had Mickey, you know, was always telling him, you know, you stand up, you son of a bitch. You stand up, stand up, rock, stand up, rock. You get up because Mickey loves you and you're going to eat lightning and crap thunder and you're made of (laughs) bricks. And like, you got to have that coach in your head because this is a fight. And if I think a lot of people lost their coach, they don't have a corner man. They're sitting there flailing wildly, not knowing what to do. And then they give up and go, oh, well, you know what they did? You, you know what they did, David? That, was they that? acquiesced to that corner man. They believe that that corner man, that voice is going to save them. Yeah. And then they stop fighting. Yeah. Now the corner man has to come out and fight the guy. That's right. You're still in the fight. He's just giving you the advice. That's all we are. We're just like the coach is saying, hey, this works. We think it works. 
But in the end, you're the one fighting. You have to win the fight. You got to find that fight inside of you to win. You know, yeah. it's not going to come from them. And they're, it's such a crazy, complicated situation we're in. Like no other generation has been through this. This is something new, at least in this cycle of time. Um, so we're up against a steep hill. No shit, right? Like I'm living in Canada right now, just watching my country melt away in front of my eyes. And it's heartbreaking. But at the same time, as that melting away is happening, as um, our psychopathic government is just moving more and more towards communism by the day, it's what it's doing is it's giving those people that never confronted that an opportunity to wake up to it. So on a bigger scale, even though it's dog shit that we're in this situation, it's part of the bigger picture. It has to happen. It had to be this way. Otherwise, there's no motivation of people to go wake up to try to find the greatness of who they are to uh, well, what does freedom even mean what i've never even read my constitution i better check on that like now people are really in trying to investigate this stuff and i think that's the ultimate driving purpose behind this crazy dark time that we're in is it's not dark just for the sake of being dark because evil is this all-power omniscient force that's what they want you to think you don't know that it's us that we're the ones that are building our prison for them. And if we just stop building that prison, it's over, right? Mm -hmm. So and it isn't isn't that what isn't that what is everybody's own worst enemy is their own belief that this one this particular battle is not winnable. Right. You know, not exactly. since the fields of Karak Sutra in India, you know, which was the basis for the great epic novel, the Bhagavad Gita. That's one of the last great battles that Earth had. And I think Tolkien wrote about it, you know, as one of the, as the battle of the five armies, perhaps. But oh, some of these myths, you know, we've got to remember the, the great myths of our day also teach us how to stand up to these uh, seemingly omnipotent powers. Um, let me just cite what I call the Trump phenomena. Yeah. OK, and I know, Josh, you're well versed in in, in these circles, but. Trump, from a psychological perspective, the phenomena of the, the cultural impact of Trump, what it showed me, you know, yes, I I did support this change for, for a minute, you know, and I still support the effects of that ripple because what it showed me is that the media was not omnipotent. For the first time in 16 years, I watched this media react instead of respond mm -hmm. and that that's a good was, way to put it that was fucking awesome to watch them melt down because they don't have a script they didn't have a they didn't have a formulated plan of how to respond so for for a moment they were all disconnected the npcs lost the transmission it's like hugh from star trek next generation i am hugh what did you just say i thought we are borg you just said i it's like all of a sudden the mainstream media didn't have a plan. They were reacting. And being a first responder, if we show up on a call and react, we're doomed. So we yeah. got to train for response. That's what a martial artist does. And we all three did our own uh, years of martial arts, and some still are. And um, I just think that there's something called training hall syndrome in martial arts where when I studied it, we, we were training specifically for – how to catch a, a punch and put an arm bar and take them down to the ground. Well, we trained a hundred times in a row, this arm bar. 
And then our sensei, he, he goes, okay, I'm, I'm going to switch up a little bit. You ready? And he threw a right hook instead of a left and tapped me right in the cheek. And he goes, what'd you do wrong? And I said, I don't know. I didn't, I, I thought you were going to throw with the other arm. He goes, training hall syndrome. He goes, you got used to thinking that I was going to do something. And in thinking, you clouded your mind and were unable to respond. So you reacted. And that's why I punched you in the, in the other side of your head. Hmm. So that training hall syndrome is what our media fell into. They weren't prepared. They, they didn't see this guy coming. And I don't care what anybody says. I've worked for 15 years behind the scenes of religious shows. I've worked with, you know, I put microphones on CEOs. I've watched them work the crowd. I know how that psychology works. This reaction to Trump was not a scripted reaction. It was total fucking clusterfuck. Yep. When you got FBI agents texting, I can smell the Trump supporters at Walmart. They didn't want that to come out. They didn't want Hunter's laptop to come out. This isn't planned people. Okay. Yep. Actual shit happens. Plans fall apart. The best laid plans of mice and men. You can plan all you want and some fucking anomaly is going to happen. You know what you have when you apply a bad theory? You have an anomaly left over. And all their reaction was a complete and total anomaly. However, I will give them this. They were able to write themselves out of the reaction phase through this January 6th bullshit, through all that crap. They righted themselves and are now in charge of responding to current events once again. But that can just as easily flip right back over if the, you know, awareness of the of the population is sharp, keen, focused, and also building their own parallel world alongside of this one. You know, I think that's an integral part of the solution to this is that we have an actual model of society, interchange, business, you notice how bad business has gotten lately? Yeah. We've got to create the kind of world we want. We have to be the Ayn Rand, uh, the, the John Galtz. We have to be the uh, Buckminster Fullers. Let's build a new system that makes their fucking shit obsolete and just leave them in the dust. You know, the caterpillar's not going to, the ooze of the caterpillar is not going to become a butterfly. And us imaginal cells can connect our minds together and build the butterfly that leaves the caterpillar in the dust. That's what we're meant to do. And that's what I think Pluto's here to do. That's what I think the alignments of the stars are here to do. We are the dust of stars expressed as human beings. We are divine creatures. And when we find that power within us, look the fuck out world. Cause here we come. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you mentioned the stars there and you know what the, the continuous change of the environment around us is a reminder that Things don't stay consistent. Things don't conform to the normal. I, I always look at, uh, I think it's Romans 12 too, is do not conform to the to the world around you, but be transformed by the expansion of your mind. The renewal. Yeah, yeah the renewal of your mind. And, and it's the truth, is that we should not fall into the, the plight that's around us, but instead expand beyond that. And, and the... the the parallel system. This is one thing that we talk about on the Red Pill Project all the time and that we actually promote 
is that we need to create a parallel system, a parallel system of living. Because if we go out there and we create new localized governments, if we go out there and create new localized decentralized financial systems, if we create these these private membership associations that are developed around, you know, uh, doctors and lawyers and, and, and economics or, or in barter and trade. We no longer need the societal system that has been developed around us that is being utilized to control many of us and put us in a state of fear. Yeah, it's this is an opportunity now. Yeah. And that's what I think the best the best people always see this these types of things as an opportunity, even though I know it's hard, but um, everything is hard at first, right? And then you get better at it. And we're just learning how to get better at we're catching up. And I think the media, as you're saying, Matt, I think they're still on the back foot. I think they haven't fully recovered. And I think it's actually starting to get worse because now we have big organizations that are trending everywhere like Project Veritas and many other uh, places where information's leaking out. Um, we're seeing that there's exodus from platforms that are censoring like crazy over to platforms that aren't. Um, we're seeing that people are moving their money out of banks that in Canada right now are debanking people. I don't know if anybody heard of this. Uh, Jeremy McKenzie, who's a Canadian veteran who's literally bled for this fighting for this country uh, and was huge in the forefront of fighting for Canadian movement here, the Freedom Convoy. Uh, he's a comedian. He's a podcaster. Actually, we should try to get him sometime. He's That'd hilarious. Awesome. And um, he was obviously targeted politically. Um, he was put in prison, solitary confinement. He gets out and then he's back to normal. He's got kids. He's got a family. And all of a sudden, the bank that he had all his mortgages with, his car payments and everything, debanked him in the same way that YouTube just cancels content that they don't like. The bank started to do that to him. And so now he can't, and now he can't find a bank anywhere else to, in Canada to remortgage with because they're all, we're not doing it. And what did it, what's his crime? What's the great grave crime that this man has committed is that he flipped the bird to the government. And he said, you guys are lying and you're stealing my freedom that I fought for. And he supported the truckers and he supported freedom. And he, you know, and these are the kind of things that are happening. And even during the convoy in Canada, there were people, there were like single moms and stuff having their bank accounts frozen during that time. And so they're trying to threaten, they're trying to make it seem like you can't exist without them. You need them. Look at what look what we've given you, and you're like this. You're you're one screaming about us and what we're doing. Well, we're gonna take it all away from you, and that's how tyrants roll. And we have to be we have to set something up so that we're not afraid to leave those systems. That those banks and those organizations no longer have power over us to that extent. Where it's basically you have to have a mortgage with us, or otherwise you will be on the street with your family. We we can't have that condition happening anymore. But that doesn't. So that's what it is. Is like you have to keep finding ways to make it as local as possible and the most local you can make it is you and your family and what you're going to do to be able to ride any of these storms but don't ever take your all these negative things that are happening also take in the positive notes is that everything's being shown to the world right now it's and it's only just begun it's just going to keep going you can't put this cat back in the bag the people that know what they know now aren't going to unknow it all of a sudden Right. And those are all the people that aren't going to be easy to take out. And they're going to teach their kids and raise their kids to 
um, support those values and to realize where the lies are. So it's not hopeless at all. It's literally these people are good at casting the mirage like any bully that they are 10,000 times bigger than they really are. These are the smallest people in the room. Little man, little woman syndrome. They're terrified. If you're scared, they're more afraid. Just mm -hmm. they, they walk confident. They've got all the money and power in the world, yet they're petrified. Why? You can see by the way they're acting and reacting to things. And man, they are reacting. They're reacting. The media is reacting to the fact that they're uh, plummeting on their ratings right now. The politicians are reacting by the fact that they're not getting any level of support. The, the WEF is swapping out its front line right now. Why are they having to swap out their front line of Jacinda Ardan, Trudeau? They're going to retire yep. them and bring in new guys. Why would they need to do that? That to me is a reaction that you can say, if everything was honky-dory, they wouldn't need to swap their front line. They're swapping their front line because those other guys are getting exposed and now they just have to replace them with other stooges who are going to be inferior to them, mm -hmm. right? So it's just going to keep going more and more and more. And that's why we've said it for a long time on my shows is they are in the process of falling on their own sword. Yep. Literally, we just need to keep the cameras rolling because the more people that watch it happen and experience it has to come right into your life for this to wake people up. The more conscious energy gets taken away from their support of those projects that they're doing. Every single person that pulls their support spiritually and psychologically from what these guys are doing is weakening them because they need us to create the world that they want, which means we have the power to create the world that we want. Did you ever see uh, the sh uh, HBO show American Gods? I watched a few of those. It's a really interesting show. Let me say that. That that the the mythological god was given power by the people who actually believed in them. And That's that it. if people lost belief in them, that god would lose power and eventually dissipate and disappear. What you just said is exactly that. That the reason that these people have power is because people follow, believe, or contrive towards their actions of what they're doing, their influence of what they're doing. And as more and more people fall away from that unraveling of their agenda, they lose power. And that's when they try to regroup and reorganize and try to, oh, well, we need to conform to this cultural movement or this cultural movement. Or we need to, and this is what they've done since the 60s, is they've manipulated cultural movements. They created cultural movements for very specific reasons to move culture in a certain direction so that they can control people to a high degree. And what's happening right now is people are waking up to that manipulation and they're just like, fuck you. We're done. We're, like, we're, we're not playing this fucking game anymore. We're, we're sick and tired of being sick and tired. We're, we're no longer wanting to be in fear. Like, I, you asked 90% of the people in this audience, you know, million dollars or would you like a one-year vacation in the middle of the woods and everybody be like dude i just want to go to the woods i just want to get back to nature i just want to go out and sit out in silence and, and not give a shit about anything for one year that would be like the greatest thing in the world because we're all like i i think that that there is this uh this th dichotomy that's happened in society is that we have a yearning for nature. We have this, this connection that's been severed by society and that we're starving from it. 
And we're all wondering, why do I hurt so much? Why am I in so much fear? Why am I in so much pain? And there's this deep yearning inside of us that's saying, just get back to nature. Just get to the middle of the woods. Just go camping. Just get out there and be in silence. And it's it's the fundamental aspects of reality calling us back to who we truly and what we truly are connected to. And it's it's the, the delusion of this, this world that we live in, I think. It's well said. Both you guys had great points there. And just to echo your points, David, yeah, the, I think the media, when it righted itself after Trump, was only done so because of the fraud of Biden. You know, this, this gave them the illusion that they regained control, which to them is they really believe it. Again, the most yep. dangerous people in the world are the ones who believe in their own lies and their own bullshit. And once you tell yourself a lie, you begin to extinguish the light in yourself. And those who confront lies, especially starting within, are more able to confront lies without, as within, so without. The more you warrior up in this time, in this time frame that we're in, the more you see the tyrant and his common chant of desperation. Mm. Let us remind them why they need us, mm. right? In V, we got to crack down, we got to get harder, and the more they crack down, the more they squeeze, the more consciousness flies out of their fingers. Uncontrolled, untethered, free to roam, free to explore, free to discover, free to find what has been hidden from us all these years, free to reset our world in the way that we imagine it, that's free of them. You know, let's reawaken what the great masters have all pointed toward for centuries and having been ignored by academics, having been ignored by the establishment, having had to claw their way into just the mere recognition of the fact that they wrote books or had research. Let's lift the giants up. Let's become the giants whose future generations will stand on our shoulders and more people on those shoulders and those shoulders. You know, the greatness of the human family is such that it is it is a tree that cannot be easily cut down for there is no blade large enough mm. to reach across its trunk. It is mighty. It is glorious. It is something that is beyond the imagination. It is something that is to be realized, to be employed, to be integrated into the soul, to be looked at, to be to be put across the tongue like poetry, to take into the soul and just echo out the gloriousness of all our fucking lifetimes that we've walked this planet. 300 lives of men, I have walked this earth, right? And now I have no time. Well, that means that we better start making some choices because we are reaching a nexus point and there's going to be two possible worlds. One of the Skeksis taking over and one of the, the, the unification of the mystics and the skeptics into one glorious, divine, healed crystal of light. I think we can accomplish it. I, I've watched incredible things happen over the last 12 years. 16 years, let's go back to 2001 when I found out 9-11 was a lie and I looked around and I went, oh my God, I'm talking to my coworkers. They're like, you're out of your fucking mind. My family, what? don't come to Christmas. You, you're out of your mind. We don't want to hear that shit, you know, and three years later, five years later, nothing. It's nothing, nothing, nothing. But march forward to today, fast forward. And I am seeing, like you said, David, as well, there's an awakening happening and it's it's just going to keep getting more and more exponential. 
Now, it may get faster. It may lull. It may do this. It may do that. The mainstream media, it's dead in the water. It's, it's had its chance. It's writing in a fiction right now, and it will overturn itself because it can't help but to. You know, the more lies you tell, the more you have to tell more lies to cover up the lies, which becomes so infinitesimally great that it's impossible. The only thing they can do is fall on their own sword and just let it. I wrote a song a long time ago called Let It Fall, you know, and, and that's to me one of the best pieces of advice I can give to people. But why that fucking thing's falling and kicking and screaming and gnashing its teeth, be working on yourself, be working on your family because the low... The most common denominator of the human existence is the family. And that's what all these bastards are, are at war with and have been at war with for yeah, the last yeah. 200 years. And the stronger your family is, how do the Rothschilds survive? How do the Rockefellers survive so long? They focus on the family people. They work together. Yeah, okay? the people that are telling you, let's get away with the family unit and just have a free for all. <laughs> they are the biggest supporters of the family unit that ever yeah. Not only that, they, they want to do the same bloodline. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. In their circles, that's their primary important function is to keep the family together. I don't care if Tom doesn't love Jill, they're staying together. They're going to have kids and they're going to serve the dynasty. Right. But that's the whole point I'm trying to make. Family is the most important thing. And your family unit is the is the one small unit of the whole human existence. The stronger it is, the more balance you have in it, the balance between your wife and the husband and the balance in the family relationship between the children and the parents. That is what creates the strength of any society. You know, I'm, I'm friends with a lot of guys in, in two different departments. And in Virginia, these guys are fucking hardcore. There's not a guy on the fire department in Virginia that does not own at least five ARs and they are not buying this bullshit. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you what, more rural people I have met are some of the most heavily armed people on the planet and they're not buying this bullshit. So folks, there's a lot of hope. Just, you know, get your head into the game, get out of the fourth and fifth dimension, come back to reality. We need all the soldiers here. We can muster because the biggest battle of the human race is on and everybody should be a part of it. There is no escape in this battle. There's only one way out, and that's through death. And it's going to come raw, man. I'm in raw. Yeah, fucking right. <laughs> Keep your soul alive. Keep light in your heart, and we're going to find our way through this darkness. Uh, who was it that said, "If you're going through hell, keep going." Keep going. Yep. And walk in there like you own the damn place. Yeah. So let me ask this question then. Because <laughs> there's been a lot of prophecy in the past. And one of those in the sense of the Christian and the biblical teachings is the apocalypse. Now the word apocalypse is Coptic and it comes from ancient Egypt, meaning the unveiling, referring to the unveiling of Isis, which held the secrets of the universe behind her eyes. Obviously Toth, Hermes lifted that veil, learned the secrets. But the apocalypse represents the unveiling of truth that truth will once again be unveiled before Armageddon and so forth comes. <clears throat> Do you think that the universe has a process for when truth comes back up to the surface? Hmm. I'm going to pass the buck, Matt. Oh. Does the universe have a process for revealing truth, bringing it back up to the surface? Or, or awakening is a better, better way to look at it for awakening. Well, I told myself a lie when I was 21 years old. 
And that lie was that I could live a hedonistic lifestyle and no one would find out. And for several years, no one did find out, but I knew. And that one lie became another lie and became another one and another one to the point where I looked in the mirror and all I saw was a shell of a man that I used to be. Mm. And then I ended up, I could have got away with it. I was a master liar, right? And I'm telling people this because this is how I'm answering your question through my own personal experience. I believed in my own bullshit, okay? I, um, I kidded myself. My buddy used to tell me this, don't kid yourself. It's the number one rule, do not kid yourself. And so I couldn't live with it anymore. And I told my ex the truth and we ended up divorced and I hit bottom and I mean hard, I hit bottom, you know, to the point where I just wanted to die. My kids were five years old. They walked out the door. That was the most heartbreaking moment of my life. But where I'm at now, because when you hit bottom, there's only one place you can go and that's up. And I never looked back. I am the happiest. I am so thankful that I did those things because the chemistry of me and my ex, she's a great person, but it wasn't the right chemistry. Okay. Um, one of the cool things about Russell science is that he, he says that people are like chemicals that if you mix the wrong ones together, it can end in very bad ways like divorce or, you know, different kinds of problems. So finding that, mate that balanced mate is a very important thing in life and so then i started that path i'm, I'm done lying to myself i'm going to tell the truth i'm going to live the truth my truth to the best of my ability i may not always win at each battle but i'm going to get up every day i'm going to fight i'm going to keep going through hell until i get out of it i'm not only out of it i'm doing the best i've ever done that leonardo dicaprio pick where he's toasting the champagne glass i'm as prepared as i can possibly fucking be Okay, so I've reached a plateau in life. I'm not inviting nature to put a pounding on me. Believe me, I'm very respectful of that. But I do know that that it's taken a lot of hard work. And that's what I think a lot of people are afraid of. Mm -hmm. But let me tell you, the greatest joys in my life have been from the things that I worked really hard on. And the most joyous thing that I've ever received was from the, the gift of what came from working on myself. Wow. You know, wow. at the end of the day, that is what saves you. That's living the message of the Christ. Don't do as I do, do or do as I do, not, not as I say, right? That's the key to salvation. Do the right things, live the virtuous life. Don't lie to yourself, but don't tell the truth to a liar either. There's certain things that you can get good at. The Art of, Sun's, of, of War by Sun Tzu, wonderful book. They're using it like a manual but you can also use that manual, but you can also use Walter Russell's manual or Victor Schauberger's manual or uh, Sigmund Freud's manual or Carl Jung's manual. There's all kinds of wonderful manuals, the manual of unslaved, the manual of Josh Reed and the red pill network, which by the way, any of you folks out there, I meant to tell you this earlier, Josh, but the university of science and philosophy created a coupon code just for your listeners. If they want to get oh, cool. Walter Russell books at 20% off red pill, 20 all lowercase red pill, 20 
So if you guys want to save 20% on any of this kick-ass knowledge for 1500 bucks, you can own every Russell book and all the audio lectures, which is about the cost of three textbooks from a university. You don't have to go in debt. What's the website? Philosophy.org. Ah, easy. Yep. And that's just for you guys. Um, all I want to do is help to the best of my ability. But people, if you're going to help the world, the first thing you have to do is help yourself. You know, you're the most important person in this world and start caring about it because, you know, your life is in your own hands. But you eventually meet with others who have done the work. You find the others. You create the cornerstones and you can build a new foundation together. And we change the world with one human heart at a time. I love that. Yeah. The love awesome. of knowledge. You know, it, it's been a, for me, there, there's something about learning. There's something about gathering information or knowledge and looking at a group of knowledge that someone else has gone through. Someone else has put their perspective on and wrote a book on and then taking that in and evolving it past that point. Does that make sense, David? Like, yeah, someone has compiled a, 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 a group of knowledge and you take it into your mind and you use all of your experiences, all the things that you've happened in your life and you extrapolate upon that. You add to that knowledge base and you give it your own flavor or whatever it might be. And there's just something so satisfying about that. Cause that's what, that's what you and I and, and, and Matt do on a daily basis is we, we look at all this other information out in the world and we try to bring it together. We we connect it, and we we try to make sense of it and truth out of it, and it, and 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 then put it back out there and say, hey, th this is what we think they're saying, or this is what's happening, or this is what is going on. And people are like, oh shit, and they see it, and then they add to it, and it's just this evolution of truth. I don't know. That's, that's just the way I see it. Yeah. Well, that's. I think what it means to be human, we're all trying to do that in our own way. And, but we're running up a hill while getting fiery arrows shot at us and boulders coming our way. Like it's, it has to be a challenge, right? Like yeah. learning, learning sets in when you're up against a wall. I, I remember um, having the experience when I was starting out earlier in my martial art career, where we would go in and we would drill everything. We would practice everything and we do all the patterns and all the movements. And then we go to some tournament and nothing worked. I remember feeling that. I'm like, what the hell? All that training, all those push-ups, and it, it just fell to shit. What happened? And my sensei said, no, no, keep doing it, but it takes time to integrate it. It's not enough to know it. Like You could probably repeat back to me, what was the right move I should have used? But you didn't do it because it's not integrated, and it hasn't been integrated because you haven't been under fire yet. Mm -hmm. He's like, this was your first stepping your toe into the fire. The more you step into the fire, the more all of your knowledge that you've gained can become practical. And then mm. eventually you go through so much fire that you can't even do it wrong if you tried. And that's the process. He says, so tr he always said, trust the process. It's not a start date and an end date, or here's your 15 day course. That's going to turn you into Bruce Lee. It's just, that doesn't exist. Uh, you have to integrate the knowledge, go through the fire. It's the underworld journey of the hero. It's the hero's journey. That's a formula that works very practically. It's not just a bunch of nice fairy tales that have some relevance. It, it's very practical that 
you can learn as much as you want, but until it's integrated and it's living knowledge now. So you're taking something that's just that 2D writing down on a board and then trying to memorize it, which too many people have, to integrated knowledge that's been built by trials of fire, right? Now you're now you're a force to be reckoned with. And that's the process that I'm trying to do, you're trying to do, and hopefully everybody listening is trying to do in their own way. This is just one expression of it, but there's many. And those are the masters or the people you can tell. You know why you know they're masters? Because they make it look too damn easy. Right. And the reason they make it look easy is because they're in flow, right? And most people just sit back and envy those people and hate on them. Uh, Ayn Rand used to call it the hatred of the good for being good. That's the vast 90% of people. That's them. Deep down, they're seething with envy of those people. When you know what that envy really is? It's a lie disguised as a virtue that you actually want to ascend to your own hero ship. You want to be that as well. So, but, but we try to go, well, I can't quite do that. So I'm going to tear the other person that is down to my level. But the truth is you should look at that as another example of, Hey, that's their process of creation of that knowledge. I have mine. I should try to do that in my own way and become the hero myself. And that to me is, um, that's how you're going to produce geniuses. If we could get our kids under that, this is what I'm trying to teach my kids is when you see something that you want to be, you're going to emulate it in the beginning and copy it. But eventually you're going to have to find something that's yours to contribute. And now you're no longer like bowing at the feet of that person. You're becoming that person in your own way. And if you become exactly like that person, it's not the same thing. You have to become unique, right? So I think it's integration, trial by fire, and I think the whole human human race is having that experience right now. This is why I look at this time not as a curse, not as a dark winner, but as an opportunity. Well said. And, and you know, this is interesting too, because if you look at it from the personal development perspective, <clears throat> if you have a lot of people out there that teach like replicate success, go out there and yeah. find a mentor and replicate the success. But at some point in time, someone had to create that path. And that's the difference is you can replicate the success of another's and you can walk in their footsteps in their beaten path, or you can create a whole new one that's never been developed before. You can go out there and, and, and manifest a reality that has not been thought about a path that's not been walked. And for me, the challenge is not replicating another person's success or walking another person's path, but instead being that pathfinder, being that person that goes out there and looks and says, this is the route we're going, but that's hard, but that's okay. We, we do things not because they're easy. We do things because they're hard. And because they're hard, we have this abundance of knowledge that comes about, the lessons that derive from that journey. And I think that that's really what this is like all about is, you know, how many unique experiences can you have upon yourself? I mean, why the hell do I want to go out there and replicate someone else's process of what they've done? It, it goes back to the knowledge and the information. If I read a book, I have my own interpretation of it. If I take in knowledge and I'm doing research, I'm going to come about and I'm going to give my whole different perspective of, of what this was actually talking about what this body was talking about. Uh, this is what I do with occultism and esotericism is I read various different interpretations 
of mythology. And I bring them together and I say, well, what are the commonalities? What are they trying to say? What, what is the underlining factors here? And then I try to draw out of that my own conclusion. And whether I'm right or wrong is I believe that I've discovered massive truth within that, or at least the hidden aspects of these things. Well, and you're understanding it. Like you're going through the process of taking all these different points of information. You don't have to buy into it all. It's not about that. It's not like every book I have is now the Bible of everything. <laughs> like that's, you're going to be, you're not growing in knowledge at all. You're, you're taking it as this is somebody applying their will and their mind and their creativity to constructing an idea. Let me hear them out. And then let's hear this other person out. Hear this other one. Then you're going to notice patterns because our brain is wired to recognize patterns. And then eventually you have to, to really ascend to the next level, you have to add something that's uniquely yours. And that was the whole Bruce Lee quote that changed my life as a kid was he was like, take what is useful, discard what is not and add what is uniquely your own. That's how you become a true martial artist, right? Or an artist in life. And I went, okay, I'm in. That sounds like a good way to go. And uh, I've had many mentors that you emulate them for a while. You almost copy some of their things and you, you mimic certain things. Um, but then that fades. That's a natural process. I allow myself to go through it where you sort of like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to play with this idea and sort of like get in and, and you learn it. And eventually that rinses out and all that's left is you. All that's mm-hmm. left is, is the, that unique part of you that you're adding to it. And it's a long process, but it is the most rewarding and it's what creates genius. And Matt, you know, the quote, I love it so much from Russell about the difference between genius and mediocrity, where he was like, mediocrity is self-inflicted and genius is self-bestowed. I love how you use those two words because both of them are the same action. I'm, I'm, I'm the one doing it to myself. I'm making myself mediocre, meaning I'm settling for less than my potential is, or I'm taking my potential doing the hero's journey and coming out with something that's fresh and new. And that's the genius, right? So genius is no longer just what's your genetic background, what's your IQ level, what's your, this it's the amount of application that you've put in or, or the amount of uh, dedication that you've put in to actualizing what you really are. And that's the genius, right? The, the, the blending of the hemispheres, the, the synchron synchronization of it. Um, but because that's challenging, People don't want to go down that road. And so they're just car- copies of everybody else around them. And we just mimic our environment. And there's even a survival reason we do that as humans. Like there's a reason we do it. But that can lead us into the jaws of the beast because they know this dynamic. They've already got it mapped out. And they just know how to put all the carrots on the sticks and the bright, shiny lights and the things wrapped in a nice bow. And you don't know you're chomping down on poison. And the reason it's poison is because it's leading you away from who you really are. And now you're not, you're not an original anymore. You're not authentic anymore. You're not the genuine article anymore. You're just another carbon copy cut out of everybody else. And wouldn't the global totalitarians love nothing more than a world full of those kind of people? So just by literally, I know everybody's like, what does this have to do with the solution? It is the solution. The more, the less people that operate from the, place of being inauthentic cardboard cutouts of everything else that they are seeing and imitating monkey see monkey do the less of those people on the board the less power that 
the tyrants and the criminals have. And the more organic, authentic people that are out there, they're, that's, that's checkmate. That's the end. They're, th- those people will cease to exist, those controllers and those criminals and those liars. So that's the way. The way out is in. That's well said, brother. Well said. Brings to mind a quote, if you'd like me to share it. Um, Go ahead. This is from the man who tapped the secrets of the universe. And he was asked, can you give me the secret of your life? By Glenn Clark. Russell hesitated, then replied, yes. I believe sincerely that every man has consummate genius within him. Some appear to have it more than others, only because they are aware of it more than others are. And that awareness or unawareness of it is what makes each one of them into masters or holds them down to mediocrity. Mm. I believe that mediocrity is self-inflicted and that genius is self-bestowed. Every successful man I've ever known, and I have known a great many, carries with him the key which unlocks that awareness and lets in the universal power that has made him into a master. What is the key? I asked. That key is desire when it is released into the great eternal energy of the universe. Desire. Boom. And there's the orgone. A hundred percent. That's all. That's what this book is all about, Matt, is what that key at the end. And um, wow. There's the golden I, I never saw the whole. I got to see the whole thing. Could you send me that whole quote? That's That just kicks it up a notch. Do you have the man who tapped secrets of the universe? I think I do. You sent me a bunch of those books. Yeah, yeah I got to make sure I it's, got that one. I think I've been working through first, this universal one. So yeah, that's in the first few pages. Okay, I'll check yeah. that out. You got it. Now I'm gonna have and to thanks, buy that. Just book. So you know, for sending the me these books. books. Now I'm gonna buy that one. Hey, you get twenty percent off till the end yeah. of February. <laughs> Red pill twenty, baby. Go support. <laughs> hey, it, ain't, it ain't a my pillow, but hey, it's the next best thing, man. Now that one's only twelve bucks. I'm gonna cause. get that one too. How about this? The pillow will be the physical thing, but being able to fall asleep is a totally different game. And actually Walter Russell has a, a little tiny book. Eh? Is it the little one where it's about the morning? And the, and night. And the, yeah. Did you have anything to tell people with that one? Well, he says basically that I can rend my day or make my day. Hmm. And at night when I lay my head down, I ask the creator the, my question. I write it on my heart. And in the morning, the creator gives it to me and I go about making my day. And um, it's living the life triumphant. You know, that's what we're we're all tasked to really try to do here on this planet. We want to live and have happiness. We want to have love and camaraderie with our fellow man and live in safe worlds and safe neighborhoods. And, you know, I do remember a time when we used to leave the doors unlocked. And then we watch society slowly fall, but every fall can be rebuilt. Every, every trip or every snare can be undone. We can always rebuild what is burned to the ground and we can do it better than it was done before. Um, But each day is new and it's a new challenge. And if you renew your mind, as Josh said earlier, and you gather new information and you utilize that new information into tools of wisdom, which wisdom is is really the ability to use information or knowledge. Mm-hmm. Knowledge is there's lots of knowledge in a library, or actually no no knowledge in a library. The knowledge is in your head. You read words that reawaken the knowledge within you, 
that you then utilize toward the function of your life, you know, and uh, rending your day or making it is really up to you. So each day is new, be reborn to it, meet it head on, notice your patterns. Pattern recognition is very important for addicts, especially if you want to get over certain things that are bothering you. I've had my own dealings with, with addictions throughout my life. So I do know that in terms of getting control and still being able to enjoy things. You know, I don't quit anything personally as a person because I don't like falling off of wagons, but I will lay things down if they're not good for me, but, or they're just too much. It's called moderation, but that way I can pick them back up if I want. I never quit smoking, but I only smoke maybe, I don't know, a carton lasts me about three to four months. So I like to have a cigarette when I have a drink, put it that way. Mm-hmm. But uh, you can moderate, you can, you can lay things down, pick them back up. You can, you can do anything you want with your day, rend it or make it, it's up to you. But ultimately you do have the power to channel that universal energy, which creates and animates your body, makes it move through the will of your own mind. And uh, creating your own reality is one of the most incredible things any of us can do because it is the most rewarding at the end of the day especially when you have a balanced mate that's creating hers and together you create one that's even more incredible than what you can make by yourself. It's multiplying the power of your balanced mate together by eight times, as opposed to just being able to multiply it once with yourself alone. Um, I don't think any of us were meant to walk through this planet or on this world alone. You know, that's why the family unit's so important. But it's about function, it's about form, it's about creativity, it's about morals and virtues and the things in life that make life rewarding, you know, and, and transcending the pleasure principle into a reality principle life where, you know, pleasure isn't the reason you do things, guys. It's it's the difference in, in the quote that John Adams never said, um, a man who isn't a liberal by age 25 has no heart and by extension, that same man, if he isn't a conservative by age 35, has no brain. So it's sort of, we go through these phases in life, but ultimately at the end of the day, we make it or we rend it. And when you get tired of rending it, that's when you start making it. But you got to hit the bottom before you can start going up. And it's within us. All power is there for the asking. All knowledge can be ours for the asking. And uh, there's nothing we cannot do if we put our minds to it, including whoop the New World Order's ass and put them in jail, bring justice to upon their heads and and give them lengthy sentences, making them eat bugs until the end of their lives. We should just condemn <laughs> them to what they're trying to put us in. And just hey, I'm all for going. it. Yeah, justice. Bugs on the menu, centipede souffle. Genetically modified corn. And- and- yep. <laughs> they got to get vaccinated every day, three yep. times a day. <laughs> <laughs> no, we'll let them uh, last uh, a little bit longer. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Noah, here's your cricket burger. Here's your cricket burger. Oh man. Guys, Shit. this has been fucking one of the longest shows we've done in a long time. I think I think the record's held by David and I. Um and the other one behind that's Ben Stewart. I was like, man, I'm sitting here going half through halfway through the show. I'm like, we should have invited Ben Stewart as well. Oh my god, this was now, he's a epic. cool dude. I I, oh, I awesome? watched his Climatica years ago. That was a good film. Yeah, Ben's Very a cool, cool guy, stuff. Yeah. yeah. How, oh, you know, we should, how fun would it be, Josh, if we did a four, we did a roundtable. We brought Ben Stewart into this conversation. Oh god, how many months? Like that would be 
let's, let's just, have a let's have a sphere, live stream <laughs> a spherical earth versus an eyeball earth debate i'm going to argue that the earth is an eyeball okay it's an eyeball. That's Just awesome. kidding. It's an well, oblate eyeball. Let, let's get the eyeball Earth, the spherical Earth, and the flat Earth, and let's. Get and then there's that guy. That a bunch of flat Earthers a couple years ago got really bored with flat Earth, and they invented cube Earth. Did you hear about this? There was a whole cube thing that went for a while. Well, actually, that has that. some validity, but it's cube Earth. Nothing we're going to get into right now. The but yeah, the, the cube oh, I know what you're talking about, though. Not talking cube, about physical. The cube that surrounds the Earth is billions of times larger than the Earth. But right, those corner right, right. projections and radar principles spiral through two opposing vortices to form the sphere. But hmm. the cube and the sphere are the sole working tools of creation. And I'll give you all a hint. Check out Atomic Suicide. That's a hell of a book. Now I gotta go fucking buy that one. I just bought the other. <laughs> I just you bought have a like nice four library, or five Josh. books, dude. I like. I, I got a great library. Like I dude, got a really You gotta get this one. Library. The Tolkien. You got to get Wilhelm Reich's cancer biopathy. You got to. I ordered that too. Oh yeah, actually, I have that. I have that already. Okay. I got three. uh, What was the other one? Little Man. uh, The Cosmic Superimposition is now in with another book as well. I think it was called. uh, Um, shit, I can't remember. It's coming in a few days though. Well, I got, I got the universe. Thanks for that inspiration, Dave. The 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 message of the Divine Iliad set. Um, uh, I got, and then I got this other one that you just talked about the, um, what was that last one you were just talking about? I, I just oh, got- atomic suicide, atomic suicide, cancer, no, the man who, who tapped the secrets of the universe. I got that man one. Who oh, yeah. tapped the secrets. Yeah. That's a key. I got a big list of martial art books too, for people that want to get into that shit. I'll have to do a nice mm. list of that. Like the there philosophy. You Dude, you know, that's philosophy. a great idea too, is start doing reading lists and putting those out. That's we have book club. On the social red pill, oh we yeah, got, we got book club and people put books in there all the time and like, oh, you guys should check this book out. I put my reading list out there, and uh, I I don't read as much these days as I want to just because I'm doing so many fucking podcasts. Oh, I'm with you, man. I <laughs> I use it a lot for reference, right? Like, and that's why yeah. I do presentations. I like doing presentations because it actually helps me read and then collect it, and when I present it, I feel like I have a better understanding of it after, mm-hmm. right? So yeah, everybody cancel your Oprah book club oh, yeah. and switch to the Red Pill <laughs> book club. Okay. There Seriously. Get with it. And uh, everybody out there, you're wondering if we're going to do a zoom tonight. I am definitely going to be jumping on a zoom. So fringe after dark, we'll start here in about 15. It's going to start right after this. So if you guys want to go to socialredpill.com, go to the events tab, go to social red pill zoom, just click on that link. Um, I will be in there in a little bit. If these guys want to join me, they're more than welcome and absolutely invited. Uh, but this was uh, this was fucking awesome. Was Got one question, Josh. Yes. Do you ever? Are you ever not podcasting? Yes, I, I take okay. Saturdays and Sundays off. Okay. I do. Right. I, I, I do. I work throughout the week, and he does sleep. And I do sleep a little. I sleep like four or five hours a night. Well, then you're you're tapping your genius because. When you only need a certain amount of time of sleep, you're able to recharge quicker because you've got things to get done in this world. So there you go. Places I, to I go. always feel bad when I go to sleep because there's so much to do and so much to learn. Forget your watch, people, and don't worry about if you only sleep four hours a night. That's actually a sign that you're in a budding stage of genius. Pursue it. Absolutely. Interesting. Very Rocket. Cool. That's Doc awesome. used to sleep two hours a night. Tesla, too. He only slept a couple hours a night, too. The, these like geniuses, 
they can lay down in that light and they recharge much faster and they can go much longer. They'd hit a power nap here and there. Of course, when you get older, that's just what happens. But, you know, genius doesn't tire. Absolutely. I love it. Well, gents, this was a blast. Thanks for being a part of this, Matt. We're definitely have to do more with you. Um, go check him out, guys. Support his work. Hear him out. Just it, so many good things there. And uh, Josh, thanks for hosting this tonight, bro. This was a blast. Yeah, absolutely, guys. Fun. Check out mattpresti.com, M-A-T-T-P-R-E-S-T-I.com. You're going to see that picture with him pointing over there. That's the iconic one that you're going to find everywhere. But um, check out his website, subscribe, and then go on over to his YouTube and his Rumble. Subscribe over there as well. I'm subscribed on both of those channels, and I've I've been just been binging this shit for the last day and a half since we talked to him Wednesday. I'm like, man, where the hell have you been all my life? So <laughs> appreciate <laughs> you, man, for coming puzzle. on. I can't wait to have both of you guys on and we do this again. Yes, there is a Zoom for <clears throat> Princess Little Eight over there. Uh, I am jumping on Zoom here, so just head everybody head over to the Social Red Pill, go to the events tab, Social Red Pill Zoom. It is open now, so head on over there. We'll be on over there. Everybody else, much love, respect. God bless you guys. Take care. Have a great night. We'll see you guys next time. Thank you. Either we will get the full cooperation of other governments to stop this menace, or we will expose every bribe, every kickback, every payoff, and every bit of corruption that is allowing the cartels to preserve their brutal reign. And it is indeed brutal. And uh, they call me eye patch became. <laughs> I, it's, I think it's I, I haven't look frankly uh, if you look at the media where the media is a closed media we don't have an open free media anymore they don't want to hear anything they don't write about it it's, a, it's collusive it's uh, nobody's ever seen anything like it it all happened during this period of time it happened just before the election they wouldn't talk about certain subjects that you know better than anybody, Michael. And, uh, you know, that's the beginning of communism.